Anime is a vast and varied medium, and if you're not already familiar, it can be daunting to find something you might be interested in watching. This is a podcast where three average anime enjoyers introduce their uninitiated co-host to their favorite anime touchstones, so he can join them deep in the weeds. This week, we watched Bakano. Bakano, which is Italian for ruckus, is a Japanese light novel series written by Ryogo Narita and illustrated by Katsumi Enami. The novels were adapted into a 16-episode anime television series directed by Takahiro Omori and produced by Anaplex. The series made its North American television debut when it started airing on the Funimation channel in 2010. The anime adaptation of the series has been popular in Japan and the United States, and has also received significant praise for its plot, characters, strong dubbing, animation, and musical score. The series, told in out-of-order sequences, spans three consecutive years of Prohibition-era America. The characters include alchemists, thieves, thugs, mafiosi, and camaristi, who are, at first, unconnected to one another. The plot consists of three seemingly unconnected events. Two bottles of immortality elixir are passed around Manhattan by gangsters, believing it's alcohol. A supposed monster massacres members of two gangs, attempting to hijack the transcontinental train, the Flying Pussyfoot. And a missing man is tracked down by his sister and a gang. Throughout the narrative, characters begin to cross paths, setting off events that spiral further and further out of control. We watched episodes 1, 7, and 13. What are the last three episodes? Uh, sort of an epilogue thing. Okay. I don't think the I've first, seen those. Yeah, the first 13 episodes were aired on TV, and the last three were straight to DVD for some reason. Interesting. Yeah. That is a little weird. So, uh, it was very brave of you to select the final episode as one of the episodes we've watched for this show. Yeah. So, okay. So, I was mainly the person who put this one on the list. I kind of set up a, an impossible scenario for myself in doing so because choosing episodes for this kind of show is really difficult because you have like it's really an ensemble piece so it's there's no real main character through line it's um like and because it's told out of order and it's spanning a couple different groups of people and places um picking episodes like from the middle would just be kind of a cloud of noise really without any kind of like grounding point to it so I chose instead to do sort of the beginning the end and uh one point kind of in the middle um to give it to kind of give the TLDR version of it I guess uh, but it, since it's like giving you the basic plot through line and introducing you a little bit to the like of the variety of characters um i figure it's gives you a setup of it and then if you're interested in finding out more about the nonsense that happens between all the characters related to this event you can go watch the full thing <laughs> makes sense 
I didn't realize that episode 13 was the last episode. It kind of, like I said, like, there's 16 episodes, um, and that one's, like, the end, quote-unquote, and then there's, like, an epilogue stuff with, like, follow-ups of some of the characters. Okay. It's kind of fun. This yeah. sets up almost, like, a modern thing that happens now. It's, this is the end of the series. But it's not. Yeah. After we decide it isn't. Uh, so, like I said, we watched three episodes. Um, I picked episode one, episode seven, and episode thirteen. Notably, seven is the one that has the beginning of the story. And, cause one starts kind of in media res in the middle of some stuff. Um. Does it? Yeah, it starts kind of in the middle of the story. Well, it starts with two people talking about where the story should begin. Oh, sure. <laughs> That's the framing device. Uh-huh. Which then they have a flashback to themselves, even though I don't actually know if they appear in the rest of the series. <laughs> <laughs> this show is weird. Um, Bob, do you want to handle our walkthroughs of these as usual, or do you want to pass it I was thinking of, absolutely, uh, Joe selected these, and I can tell it was a passion of hers, this particular oh. series. Oh, I'd like no. to hear it from her perspective. You did That's it. okay. Uh-oh. Okay. I didn't really... Okay, so the notes... <laughs> the notes that I put on the sheet... um, Because normally the way I have it set up is I put the little summary of the episode at the top, and then we put our notes underneath, kind of broken up by scene or whatever. Um, But in this case... I just pulled the full episode descriptions from the Wikipedia episode lists, mm-hmm. and just kind of put enters in, but to break up the like the main events. So I guess I'll just go through those like that, and we can talk about the events. Yeah, you're like sub one paragraph uh, episode <laughs> summary for episode thirteen is a page and a half long. <laughs> so yeah, this All is right. this is your bed. Yeah, you made it. Yeah. <laughs> now let's go to sleep. Joe, I just want you to know, I fully support your decision and the choice of chaos you brought into your life. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> My other thought was to basically do, like, just episode one, two, three, um, which would have been fine, but again, like, since it jumps around so much and you don't really have that much of a sense of what's going on, it would have been, like, a lot of just what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I feel like it's almost appropriate if you started by talking about episode 7, then. I mean, yeah, do we want to talk about this more chronologically? No. We could. That would be oh, a first. No. I should have done that. I should have just gotten the list no. of the events in the order that they happen. Okay, so we'll start I with episode chaos. 1. Episode 1, the vice president doesn't say anything about the possibility of him being the main character. <laughs> well, he doesn't. <laughs> and you're telling me this was based on a series of light novels. Really interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, light novels, uh, for those wondering, are, they kind of grew out of basically like pulp fiction novels. Um, they're like under 50,000 words usually, I think, and they're illustrated manga style. So it's like a mix between like a story and a comic. Um, I love that movie. It's, and, uh, it's very influenced by that movie as well in terms of its storytelling. 
<laughs> what movie? Pulp Fiction. Movie. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say, I, I think it's sort of like the sort of Japanese take on a novella, maybe? Mm, kind of. Okay. I don't know anything. It's a little different than that. Um, but yeah, like, it's, they're printed, like, very quickly. That's not the word I want. Um, but, like, the production schedule is very tight and they come out pretty frequently. But they also always have super long titles like, I can't believe that my little sister, who was the president of the volleyball club, had grown into <laughs> such a mature woman over the summer that she spent in another dimension. <laughs> that's more of a, like a post-2000s thing. That's true. As well right, as the style so, at the time. Episode one. We start off in 1932 in New York City uh, at the Daily Days newspaper where the vice president and his assistant, Carol, who's like a six-year-old child, um, are looking over the, the series of events that this story is about. I do appreciate that he just kind of walks in there and says what I'm thinking and get off the table. Yeah, because she's got everything spread, like all the files and stuff spread out and books for reference and stuff like spread out on the, the conference table. And something, she's something child labor law. On the table, sitting in the middle of it, going through things. Well, here's the thing. He's kind of a bean dad, we will learn. <laughs> because every time, like, he, he keeps asking, like, oh, and why do you think that the, we should begin the story there? And she, like, starts giving her answer. And then he's like, ah, 130 points. And it's like, on what scale? Hey, what are you ranking me on? And he's just Hey, worst. she asks, too. And he never answers. He's the worst. Dad? Dad, is this you? <laughs> then I think we get close to uh, the introduction of our upcoming events, yes? Yeah, because, like, they're just talking about, um, they mentioned the events, so we get some, like, name drops of the things that happened, like, oh, maybe it started here, maybe it started here. We also and... get the wonderful images. Yeah. Oh. There's, there's a little bit of a lot of blood. Yeah. I'm sorry that I forgot to give you guys the the gore warning. <laughs> I got distracted before I, I, I put that out. But yes, hey listeners, this show, um, and some of the critics who were talking about it when it came out noted this as a detractor from the series, they felt. Because it's kind of like fun action, you know, gangster stuff. Um, but then there's some like very graphic violence that happens like to to that. throughout. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have seen gore in many forms. Yes. A lot of times unwillingly. I don't feel this was that terrible. Like, don't get me wrong. It, it's definitely not a zero. I feel like it's it's mostly just, like, the warning is more so that you know it's in there, because, frankly, some of them kind of happen quickly out of the blue, and you're not really right. expecting them. That lends um, to its realism, though. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I don't know how much I, we want realism in an anime show about immortals on a train. I mean, <gasps> spoiler alert! <laughs> I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is gore, yes, but let I, I guess there should be like a, a degree of understanding to what extent because gore, I feel like, gets thrown around a lot. Yeah, without, without like a 
a scalable, and I realize everyone's scale is going to be different. Right. I have family uh, members that. Go on. I was just I have family members that see blood and just like someone gets punched a couple times and they have a bloody nose. Oh, and they lose their minds over. Um, yeah, I use the word gore here because it's specifically viscera that you see a lot of. Um, yeah, the, and the scene where Lad is gesturing with his bone sticking out of his severed yeah. arm—that's that's a bit like like a, yeah. a lot of the time it's like people are kind of like water balloons full of blood bursting and there's that sort of like B-movie, horror movie kind of quality to the gore. But then yeah. there's a couple of times where it's just like, ooh, no, you you studied an anatomical drawing for that gore. That's that, like that. At that point, it's like, it, like you were saying, it's not like the most visceral depiction, but it is often like uncharacteristically sudden. That is just Yeah, like, it's like... The, the shock um, value is not in the quality, but in the unexpectedness of it. Right. Like, there's not a lot of it. It's just when it happens, it happens like, whoa. I will caveat yeah. and counterpoint because we have the scenes of the pictures, and I believe one of them is the little boy getting shot in the head. Yes. Mm-hmm. That was what I was going to bring up. <laughs> um, yeah, because when they're talking about all different events and splashing between them, like, again, and if you're coming into this, you know, not knowing anything about the show and it's the first episode and you do not have the context of like these people are immortal and that one specifically like we didn't really touch on his story at all but that kid is like the way he is because that dude um like specifically tortured him over years and years trying to figure out how to kill them um jeez yeah so <laughs> I have to um, explain that in my notes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you get stuff that like takes advantage of the fact that these are mortal people who can survive. Um. Very brutal injuries. Um, and also the effect of like when they get when their arm gets cut off or whatever, all the blood and stuff rushes back to them and it like sucks it back in. Just like at uh, just like the Iron Giant, when all those nuts and bolts kind of get the radio exactly. signal, it's time to go home. Exactly like the Iron Giant. Like when Chikazi, uh Splood headbutts that guy off the train, and he's all like, <laughs> "Superman." <laughs> Sorry, that's a spoiler for later. <laughs> um. So yeah, we have the vice president and Carol trying discussing how to like arrange the series of events like hey do we do it you know chronologically like where does the story start do we do it um by choosing a main character quote unquote from the group and like following them and their journey through it all and you see i appreciate that device being used because it it is a nice kind of both direct and yet simultaneously subtle way of telling the audience this is the way you're going to get your story, whether you le- realize it or not. <laughs> yeah. I'll I'll save my thoughts on that for the end of this episode. Go on, sorry. <laughs> okay. Um. So yeah, we get their flashback to their train ride. Separate train, different yeah, train. Separate, it's a separate train. <laughs> I don't have the specific down notes of like the scenes so 
anyone could jump in at any time with specifics within a section. Uh, it's <clears throat> first watching this show. I have no preface of what's going on. So mm-hmm. when we see the images here. I thought these people were actually dying. Right. Like we see the kid getting shot in the head and we see the bookstore with the shot up people. And I'm like, well, I guess we're going to be watching these people lead up to their death, which is trope. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we see the fight with the one guy. I can't remember his name, but he gets his fingers cut off. Yeah. By Firo. the bum. Firo. And uh, they grow back on. It's like, I, I still hadn't put two and two together at that point. Right. I'm like, ah, there's magic in this world. Makes sense to me. I feel like I specifically had a note here on my side that just like, Wolverine really needs to step up his game. This guy's parts come back to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't need to grow new parts. Just suck them back up. I like that introduction, too, because, like, he stops and he gives the bump some money. And then the bum's like, oh, you got a bunch of money in your wallet, so I want it. So would you say he was bum-rushed? Yes, because he also was stabbing him in the back, kind of near his butt. So he he rushed his butt, bum. Uh Uh-huh. And then, and then, his fingers come back, and he just mollywops that old man on the (laughs) feet. Wasn't there like an episode somewhere in the middle where that guy was an assassin sent to get him by one of yeah. the other? <sighs> okay, is this where we start introducing the fact that there's like warring mafia families? I believe yeah. so because Mr. Satan's in this series and it completely threw me off. Oh god. Because I have an image of a face when I hear that voice. <laughs> and it's coming oh. from someone who does not look like him. Yeah, good question. Uh who watched in English, who watched in Japanese? English. I watched in English. Okay. I had a joke. I decided to leave it on the ground. Okay. I. I this is the rare time where I watched it in Japanese because I watched the version that was on my hard drive, which I assumed was the same one that you had, but apparently it wasn't. So I only had a subtitle version to watch, so I didn't get to hear the dub on this one. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I just want to bring that up because specifically when they cast the English actors, they did so with the fact in mind that they were going to be giving the characters appropriate European accents for where they were from. So if you listen to the Japanese, you don't get all the accents. I Um, This is one of those instances of kind of like when, when you throw Cowboy Bebop or Outlaw Star, or, or at least in my opinion, and as well as like, Yu Yu Hakusho, this is one of those like perfect dubs in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah, it was a very highly, very highly praised dub job. I do in not fact. know. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. Ben. Mindless side note. I'm sure yours is a continuation. Feel free. Um, I was just gonna say one of the voice actors I I love Isaac in uh, Miria. Mm-hmm. Because of who they are, but mm-hmm. also, uh, Isaac's voice, voice actor, uh, J. Michael Tatum voices, uh, the lead in two, or at least the male lead in two of my favorite anime. And he, I, I can always pick his voice out in a crowd and it's always spot on. <laughs> I don't know dub actors, but was there a Joey here? Joey, uh, from Yu Gi Oh! 
There's oh, definitely someone um, trying to do a Joey we want. <laughs> no, he, he specifically is not in this series. Okay. Well, there were some great impersonations. <laughs> yeah, of course, because we've got New York gangsters, um, but we've got also got a lot of Europeans running around. Yeah, actually, I gotta say that that would have really helped with some of the, um, just like character tracking, especially mm. in this first episode, because we're not only jumping around so much at it, but like we're just getting introduced to so many people for so little time each that it's just like the Japanese voices are very. It is in a familiar way. To a non native speaker, it's they, they, it does sound a lot of the same to the ears. Well, no, I, w- I was actually going to say, um, because I- I've played a lot of um, the Yakuza video game series, mm-hmm. um, which have only twice actually been dubbed into English, uh, I kind of have an ear for, like, the typecasting of, like, character archetypes when it comes to Japanese mm-hmm. dubbing, and I'd say that they were definitely dubbed like that, like, oh, the the big guy who is all about let's use violence first to solve our problems. Like he sounded like that. The like, Oh, I'm, I am the smart charisma kind of guy. And I know stuff that I'm not letting on that will be revealed somewhere in the <laughs> late second act. Like they, they were very much, um, sort of like character, uh, cast for the character archetypes in a way that was like, at least it was like familiar and fitting to the yeah to the archetype of the character but didn't really say anything to like like you never would have known it, it almost hides the fact that all of these people are like you know a hundred years old or however long they they actually are from from the whole <laughs> boat right. debacle it's just like oh yeah no they are just people who are here not like there there was nothing that said that they were maybe like you know not native to Manhattan. Nobody said forget about it. <laughs> we also get with the gangster fights, I believe, the tier. It's Firo and I can't remember his name in the bookstore. Uh that's Luck, I think. Luck Gandor, one of the Gandor brothers. Where he's reading his Edgar Allan Poe book to find out he's not afraid of the book anymore. Mm-hmm. And then they get shot up. I love that detail. <laughs> this one does. Yeah. They get godfathered. Uh-huh. At which, that's when they perform the blood-sucking ceremony. No. Well, yes. Except we see the <laughs> blood-sucking ceremony with the kid as well. Yeah. Because he calls the henchman Lowfoot or whatever. Lowbrow. <laughs> that's when things start clicking for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's earlier 1932, um, we have a member of the Runarada Mafia family, Gustavo, is searching for Dallas Genoard, while the Runaradas fight a turf war with the Gandor family, which is why Gandor and Firo get shot up in the... Wow, I, I didn't pick up any of that from watching the episode. It's just like, all right, they, <laughs> clearly these people have things going on. What is it? Mm, don't know right now. Yeah, I like, uh, okay, this is, <laughs> when I was younger, all of this was, like, easy, way easier for me to keep track of. Like, my brain was sharp and on point, and I had no trouble with it. I love this kind of stuff. Um, Nowadays, I have had COVID twice. 
I have had an autistic burnout episode. My brain is Swiss cheese. <laughs> so I almost was tempted to put together like a yarn map of just everybody. We don't have room for a conspiracy board anymore, I was told. I don't. <laughs> I do have, have a lot of yarn, though. <laughs> uh-huh, I was about to say. <laughs> uh, check out the Yarn Mountain uh, spreadsheet on Google Docs. At anywhere Google Docs are served. <laughs> at Google, I guess. I've been hashtag Yarn Mountain tagging them, so you can find them that way on uh, Twitter and Mastodon. Uh, anyway... <laughs> If you want free yarn, yeah, it's free. Take it away from me. Please. We need our couch back. <laughs> um, okay, and then we go to 1931. No, wait, is this when we get the... <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to remember whether the intro song is before or after the bookstore stuff. I think it was after um Carol and the vice president. No, the... And before the bookstore. Yeah. I don't I think there's a cold open. I think we open with the intro and then go to, to Carol and the, the vice director, vice president, whatever he is. Oh, I thought Carol was first. Okay, but yeah, anyway, we get um, an opening theme song, which is a very cool jazz song called Guns N' Roses um, that was released as a single as well as the closing song. It was very popular. Um, but that gives us kind of a run-through of all the characters. Like, it gives, like, you know, the splash of them with their name next to them. Um, yeah, the, the the fact that it manages to go for the entire, like, run length of an intro song still introducing new characters is, like, it says something yeah. about the show, I think. It's just like, oh, it's you... Like, hey, you're in for an ensemble cast. You, you are going to need help remembering these, so we introduce these flashcards that we will be going over every episode. <laughs> So I believe we go to the train, like the after action of the uh, flying pussyfoot. Yes. Ugh, okay. So me. yeah, mm-hmm. in nineteen thirty, yeah. so in this is in nineteen thirty-one. So this is before Carol and everybody. Um, because the main the main events span from nineteen thirty 1930 to nineteen thirty-two. Um, so in nineteen thirty-one, Firo and Ennis and Miza and Luck and his two brothers Keith and Berga Gandor. Um, are at the train station awaiting the arrival of the Transcontinental Express, the Flying Pussyfoot. Mm. Uh, I giggle every time I hear that name. Don't know why it's called that. It it sounds because better. you can't. It's one yeah. of those things. I'm pretty sure that's just Japanese people using English words. You can't call it the Orient Express. I hear that's been trademarked. <laughs> Did you just say it trademarked? Is it is. Maybe. <laughs> okay. I don't want to do So in addition to a gore warning, um, I'm going to give a, a pussyfoot warning <laughs> that you're going to do that name <laughs> a lot. <laughs> <laughs> pussyfoot. <laughs> okay. Looking so- in our notes, I think, Nick, you and I have a disagreement. Oh, word? Where? Because under my uh, more magic, you put that you love two particular characters, and I can't say that I like them. Interesting. Okay. All right. I mean, find that uh, Isaac and Maria, or Miria, Miria, Mar- yeah. Mariana, like the Miria, French? Miria. Okay. Uh, with the way this show is set up, it's almost to me, and my opinion, 
a forced humor almost that it detracts uh-huh. from the show. Oh, Isaac and Mira. Yeah, yes. I yeah, they're very much the the comedy relief characters and it's, it's like uh Jesse and James that you just are waiting for the gag and the setup. Yeah, but like Jesse and James in a like if you took them out of Pokemon and dropped them yeah. in like a different show where it didn't quite gel with the tone. <laughs> well, it, it's it's almost like um I I forget the last show where I was talking about this, but like when you have a Marx Brothers movie and it's almost like the Marx Brothers yeah. are out of touch with the rest of the movie. This is the flip of that. Like they are having their own <laughs> Marx Brothers movie, but we're watching from the cameras of the serious movie going on. And I, I I think that's what I get about it. Like I I have some issues with this show, and I think I like those two. It, it's a mix of two things. One, they are sort of a um. They're kind of like a more straightforward levity. They are, I, th- I think it's kind of fun that they are sort of the, um, they're kind of like the shadow players from Utena, except if they were tangible, like they are actually in the story and not just having like <laughs> some goofball Greek chorus moments on the yeah. side away from being able to interact with the story. Um, yeah. And like, and they are completely unrelated, unattached to anyone else in the series. They are yes. just like, a random couple that kind of ends up in this mess. Um, but they are just two incredibly oblivious, but kind hearted people. Yeah. Who find themselves I, among all this. Well, well, that, that, that's, that's a, uh, Chuck, before you go is, um, we don't get it so much in these episodes. We only really get it in the the epilogue in 2001 in the last episode but like the thing about these characters is that they are they are absolute fools they are like (laughs) painfully oblivious to the truth of things right in front of them but in such a way that in everything they do they are kind-hearted and there are so many people in this show who like are technically you know the good guy main character in some way but also mm-hmm. they got like a fucked up dark spot in their heart mm-hmm. these two are goofballs and they are always taking the most like optimistic kind-hearted read and they are always acting out of kindness and they are too good for this world they are my <laughs> cinnamon buns and uh, uh we get way more of that in in the main show but like yeah that, that's kind of the bigger thing like it's it's as much as like for for some like this is not a pleasant world to hang out in, and these two exist in spite of that. So I, 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 I like them as a sort of protest against the tone of the rest of the show, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. I, I, I'm going to start with first. Nick, you are correct, and Bob is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's a good start. And I would say my my read on these is kind of like yours, except the first thing I came into is like. This is Bill and Ted's excellent immortality for them. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Yeah, and I, was like, I, I watched it like, oh my god, I love these two. Why do I love these two? And I start looking at like so many different like comedy anime I watch and various other shows. I'm like, this is essentially a, a just strictly positive Laszlo and Nadia a la uh, what we do in the shadows. In this show, <laughs> they're just very happy immortals. Who just really love being good people. Yeah. And yeah, I and love them. Specifically, these two are thieves um, from 
you know, gangster era New York City. And the they end up immortal because they drink the elixir thinking it's alcohol. So they don't know that they're immortal or that any of these other people are immortal uh-huh. or anything. They're just in the middle of this weird hailstorm of bullets going back and forth between people for stakes they are completely unaware of. What do you mean 50 years has gone by? Yeah, they're like, hey. Oh, did I put my note on, um, was that note about magic related to other people? Or when uh, he had a cut on his cheek and it healed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, that's that. The wound disappeared. Wow, that's really cool. They they do not think about it any further than that. Uh Uh-huh. At which point, a married couple ends up on the side of the trains. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... (laughs) You want to talk about Lad a little bit? Yeah. Because that guy clearly doesn't have the magic in him. Uh, He's got a certain magic in him. Okay, so... Okay, yeah, we come to the FBI are investigating a bunch of bodies that are have been left along the tracks behind the flying pussyfoot. Um and they're all like dead and completely like chopped up and stuff because there's a serial killer on the train. Um and one of those that they find is Lad uh with Lua who are um wife uh, husband and wife outfits. Husband and wife outfits, oh my god. Wedding bride and, bride and groom outfits. Uh-huh. Um and he's like completely cut up and missing an arm and stuff. Um, yeah, and their thing is, I forget Lad's thing entirely. He's one of the very many, uh, fucked up murder horny people in this show. Yeah. Sorry, what? <laughs> he's something. got a mo- murder, a boner for murder. Yeah, he's got a murder boner. Uh, what's. <laughs> This isn't even an anime vocab word. This is just... Uh, yeah, I like, did, this, this I, is... I, we need I missed it and I blacked that out? No, it's the, context. Yeah. yeah th- this is also more knowledge from having watched more of this series. Right. You, you, um, get, you get a little bit of it, but... At the very least, Bob, you understand, this is not a pleasant man. No. He enjoys inflicting pain more than he dislikes having pain inflicted on him. That's why he doesn't mind being all beat up and bloody by the side of the tracks. Yeah. He's a fun sociopath. Well, he's having fun. Isn't that really what's most important when you're a sociopath? <laughs> you just yeah. gotta make yourself laugh. So we have these like kind of layers of immortal people because we have people from the genera- the first generation of immortals. Um, who have lived long lives, and some of them have turned to violence because they've gone a little mad from being around too long. Um, some have just, you know, found out that they like killing people, so that's why they are. And we have some of the, the current generation of the, the people from New York who have, who drank the elixir, and since they're, like, related to the gangs, the gang wars and stuff, we have a lot of, like, you know, hitmen and, Crazy people in that sense. Um, yeah, Lad specifically is a hitman for the Russo Mafia family. Um, and he's just, yeah, he's a straight up sadistic dude who's like way too into it. 
you gotta love what you do and do yeah. what you love. Yeah. You'll never work a day in your life. You did yeah. not, uh, you know, not talk. Explaining that, hey, I'm bleeding out here. Please heal me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he and Lua, like, they're, like, weird. They're that weird couple who's, like, way too into each other. That makes everyone else uncomfortable being around. Like okay. Laszlo and Nadia. <laughs> They're gonna, they're gonna, they notice your vibe from across the bar, and they're wondering if you're into, like, torture stuff. <laughs> Do you like BDSM circle Y or N? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I would not be that. He doesn't care about the consent part, he just wants to cut people up. <sighs> yeah, no, th- this is just a courtesy, we want to know what you're into. It's just nice if you circle the Y. It's We're going trying. to happen. They're kind of hoping that you're not into it, because that just makes it better for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, Lua kind of doesn't care one way or the other, but he's... She's just very into him. That's almost worst. Okay, who, who else do we meet? Actually, I think we cut to... Uh... Well, before we go too far... Go ahead. The FBI. Yeah. I love that from the get-go when we meet these FBI at this moment in time, it's essentially, as I put it in my own notes here, it's the Immortal Investigations Unit. <laughs> they, they know, they are aware there is something going on. Yeah. They just don't know exactly what. That's absolutely true. I noted that as well as they aren't supposed to talk about it, which leads me to believe that maybe an Immortal is on the police case force? I don't know that wasn't explained in any of the episodes we watched. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. I it may might be more that like, you know, cops have been bought off by the mob. But That's possible too. Yeah. I, I guess I, I was thinking on the positive. I forgot we are actually watching a mortal mob war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is weird that you would forget that considering that's kind of the whole, yeah, the the whole, whole point thing. of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh, right. The other thing about Lad is that he was on that train specifically um, because he was trying to hijack it. That worked out for him. Uh, Well, not well. Throw Lad from the train. <laughs> <laughs> um, And he also, like, specifically is really into killing people who, like, have that arrogant attitude of like I can't die kind of thing, so he of course gets wrapped up with all the immortals. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, he gets a metal arm later too. I believe we cut from the FBI immortals unit when a call comes over the radio saying the bookshop got shot up, and then we get, go back over there. Is that here? Um. Well, first at the tail end of them finding Lad and Lua. Um, further down the tracks, they're fishing the the luggage out of the river, and, and they find yeah, uh, and they find a chain on a suitcase. And they're all like, "What you riding there?" And she's like, "Roll top <laughs> desk." <laughs> <laughs> Why you chain. ask, fool? I love chain. Yeah, and chain so loves you. their if team. Only. She was there with, like, Nice and Jacuzzi and uh, the Laferays there to hijack the green. I also They were niece. part of that group. Yeah. 
Niece is fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's okay. Have anything with problem with her? Other than I don't spend enough time with her for me to. Fall yeah, we don't see much of her in, in this, fair, yeah. which is unfortunate because I like her a lot. I didn't remember her at all. I'll be honest. She's the one I think who ends up with one eye in the thirteenth episode. Correct. Yeah. Well, I think she's got one eye all along. It's just that we find out what she's been keeping in the other socket. Yeah. Listen, I'm not saying she's bad. I'm just saying of all of the people in this show, I I definitely remember her associate jacuzzi splot. I mean, to be fair, that is a name. It's such a name. Every time it comes up in the 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 flashcards in the opening, I I just laugh. It sounds like a place and the thing that happened there. <laughs> Sounds like a precursor to a Rorschach test. <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah, they get the call about the bookstore, um, and then we get to the train to wrap up back to the beginning of the episode where Firo, Ennis, and Misa are waiting at the train for their friends. They're there to pick up Isaac and Miria, and then we have we see uh, a woman in military fatigues limp off the train and we see niece and jacuzzi coming off the train and we see the little boy coming off the train well i will only ever remember as cheese as, as what cheese chaz he's a dairy product <laughs> also we didn't mark where the the eye catch for this episode was but um oh yeah we like when we get to the eye catch of the episode, we never see the vice director and Carol ever again. Yep, <laughs> that is true. What the heck? It's just like, all right, we're done with this. We're done with this framing device. We have framed it. Let's move on. I'm pretty sure it ends with them wrapping it up again, like it bookends. Oh, oh, that's that's why they need to to have those three extra episodes. They remember that they didn't do anything else with those two. <laughs> You know, I actually was thinking about that when you said it to her. I just imagine the studio, like, maybe two or three months after the series is in it. Someone's just in there. Oh, shit! I forgot to pick up Cam. We left some lens untied. Get everyone back in the studio. I think it was intentional to see if they could get more episodes. Or is there more to the actual anime or the uh, manga? I I, uh, I would actually be really interesting to to learn more about like what the the process of the original material was. So, you know if maybe that has something to do with like production schedules or something. Pretty similar. Hang on, let's see. Because like I, I don't I don't know much about how like light novels are produced, but I could almost see that like maybe either they played a bigger role in that, but in it because you know. Uh, not counting the last three, a 13 episode uh, season is like a pretty standard length for a season. It is also a relatively small amount of time to crush this yeah. much story into. So if you're going to cut quarters, I think you're going to cut quarters with your framing device, you know? The first novel came out in February 2003. Um, 
the first 13 episodes were aired in November of, or July to November of 2007. So it was a tight turnaround. Oh. And there were 22 light novels. Whoa. Whoa. But again, that's kind of like saying 22 chapters, because they were like relatively short. Um, It was also readapted into a two-volume manga. So like, it's not that much story. Yeah, and take that as you will. There's also an adventure video game for the Nintendo DS. Alright, go on talking about the show. I'll be back after a quick <laughs> Google search. Yeah, hold on. I need to know, can we play as Isaac and Miria specifically? I'll let you know. It's interesting. I wonder what they would do with that. I guess it's just another a manner of like releasing another little chapter. I mean, they made a video game out of The Godfather. Uh, that is fair. You can milk anything. But please don't. (laughs) The almonds get really, really sad. (laughs) So that was the end of episode one. Introduces us to a lot of characters and some wild and wacky events. We get our closing song, Calling. Which was also very popular. And I heard a lot in high school. Hmm. God, this this was like no, not uh, high, it wouldn't be high school. It would have been that would have been the DVR, DeviantArt chat. There were a couple of people who were obsessed with this song. Oh boy, yeah, I, I was gonna say we originally watched this in in college. I remember watching this on a specific Lenovo brand laptop. Yep. Oh boy, <laughs> uh, just like with Death Note. Um, I, I I guess maybe I'll I'll put my thing here. Um. Like I, part of why I keep ragging or just bringing up the way that uh, Carol and the the vice director don't come back is because I I feel like they are there to lampshade the idea. They're, they're like, I love the conversations about like just like the you know the the. The idea of like, oh, the way you present information affects the experience of the story. Like, I think, I think you know, that is sort of like a, a theme of every show we've talked about here, right? Like, it, it is so intrinsic to just like the nature of narrative and media and, and presentation and rhetoric, whatever you want to get. Like, it is a very cool concept. I feel like their purpose in this story is is to kind of show up and be like, yeah, it's kind of hard to tell a story when it's so mixed up and meshed up like this. But that's kind of just a lampshade that like, yeah, we don't know if we did a good job. So we're going to put these people who are going to say that it's hard to do this. So you shouldn't be too, too harsh on us. If it feels like a mess, because we know that it's like, it's that thing of just like, I oh, mean, if we leverage the, the complaint at ourselves, that protects us from it. And I'm like, sort of. But I'm going to kung fu this against that. I see it a different angle. Okay. I see this them setting an expectation, not trying to protect themselves. I see this saying, listen, this isn't going to be straightforward. And that is intentional. We are telling you that. Whether Whether or not you accept that, that's up to you. But we're telling you, this is the way it's going to be because we have chosen to tell the story this way. I don't see it as being, oh, it's really hard. I think it's designed to be there to say, like, yeah, this is going to probably not be what you're expecting. 
and that's okay. I almost look at it as like some Shakespeare plays or some others that start with just like, here are two people starting to tell a story and then we just go in and we never see or hear from these again because they're, they don't need to be relevant. They serve to their purpose by, by just saying like, yeah, in, instead of being just text at the beginning of a, a film or a show saying, this will not be in linear order. Also, I, I don't remember how much it comes up in the show, but in the light novels, like, there's other characters from the Daily Days that, like, play a part in stories and stuff. I don't mm-hmm. remember any of them in the show. Yeah, I'm thinking it was less they took that out in the show. Well, well, so my other part of it is whenever I start thinking, whenever I try to think of the middle of the show, my brain goes back to a book that they made us read in high school, A Winter's Tale, which uh, you will probably have forgotten that there was a movie adaptation of starring Colin Farrell back in the autism sometime. It was a bad adaptation. I forget if the movie was any good. But the thing about that book is that it is a book that takes place in like turn of the century. Is this turn of the century? I don't know. But like takes place in a a similar time period with this similar idea of like maybe not like mob, but definitely like New York City thugs and people who are from an earlier era, like taking uh uh you know taking part in kind of modern times and there's magical elements of it and also there is a whole parallel story that takes place on a train in a completely different era and like so much about this show and that book are so similar that every time i think about the middle of this show i think about that book here's the thing though when i say that they're similar and they have this like similar structure of sort of like telling the related but separate parallel stories sort of sort of intertwined with each other. That book does it without a framing device and someone at the beginning saying, you know, oh, this is hard, so let's help you understand how and why we're approaching it the way that we are. And it still plays the same. And I think that book actually does a better job of telling it sensibly and making the stories actually like parallel each other and play into each other rather than just sort of jumping between which one you're telling at a point. Uh, I can talk more about that at the, when we're done talking about the episodes, but that's spoiler. That's kind of where I come down on the show. Um, And so, so I, I feel like they, they are kind of setting an expectation, but for me, because I have this, this other extremely related thing, I'm like, that has already set my expectation. So when we come in and they're trying to set my expectation, I'm just like, oh, you're just saying, I've seen this example of how it can be done right. So you're just excusing why you maybe couldn't do it right. Like, like you're setting this expectation of like, yeah, we kind of couldn't figure it out too well. Um, which like, honestly, the, the thing that sort of backs that up for me is we have Carol and the VP discussing it. And, but like, he keeps asking, like, oh, what if we do this? What if we do this? And she's like, what if we do this? And I think this works. But, like, they do this thing where, like, the last thing is like, oh, well, you know, uh, why do you think we should do it that way? Or why do you think that makes this the best way to follow it? And they never actually answer that. They disappear with that ever without actually ever addressing that. So I, I have this weird feeling of, like, I, like, you're going to have them pose this interesting question that could that would work as this framing device and then have them never 
connect with it. It's like all wind up and no punch. It's just like, why are you there? Like that, like, mm, I, I, I think having them no. there, it sort of like undercuts the, the show. Like, I, I don't know. So two points. Yeah. First, sometimes the best stories don't just hand you the answer. I, I would, I would argue there's the possibility they were giving it as something for the audience to think about, about why they did it without necessarily spoon feeding it to them. That's a possibility. I'm not saying that's what they did. I'm just saying possibly, and that's fine. Secondly, I would say consider, consider the audience for this. And when I say that, I mean, consider a average anime audience, not yourself, but the average anime audience in Japan. Because that's where this started. Typically, a lot of anime are in what format? In their storytelling. It is a linear progression. So what I would argue is this is trying to set up an opening to let the typical audience know, who may not have experience with stories that are non-linear, to just kind of brace them for that and just say, this is going to be that way. It doesn't have to be, well, it was done better this way, so it needs to be done like that. They are giving something different to typical anime fare. This, I'll be honest with you, I can't think of another anime that goes nonlinear this hard. So this is maybe not so much them excusing or trying to say, well, we did it this way because we like it, but more explain, this is the way it's going to be. And we hope, you know, we hope that helps you as you go in to watch that, to understand it. I mean, the answer is that they're from the light novels. They use them as a bookend to mm-hmm. frame the series. Cause I checked, they do show up at the end of, at the end of the series. Cause chapter six or er, episode 16 is called Carol realizes that the story cannot have an ending. Mm. Fair. <laughs> and to, to that point, then that only backs up. That is probably why the answer to your question is because there can't be an ending because the story of Immortals is ongoing. Mm-hmm. All right. So the second episode we watched was episode seven, which is called Everything Starts Aboard the Advana Avis. And this is the beginning of the story. Mm hmm. So, so wait. Sorry. Go on. No, go. I want to kind of cut to the chase on something on this one because I'll be honest. Like I said, I haven't watched this whole series through because when I started to watch this originally once upon a time, it also like Hulu and Funimation lost the rights to it. And like a week later, I'd only watched a few episodes and spoiler for the modern era. And it was never picked back up anywhere and exists in the ether. This is why physical media is truly important. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I need to know something if I missed it in this episode. They keep referring to this person who brings about the Im- immortality elixir mm-hmm. as a demon. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about a literal demon? Yes. Okay, cool. I was kind of hoping we were going out of that way, but <laughs> but again, with this episode and spoiler for everyone, I'm coming off of COVID. My brain is maybe not as sharp as it normally is. <laughs> so I'm thinking here, like, 
are we talking about, and I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm going to pull a Bob here. I'm never going to call him by his r- real name. Uh, was S lizard just trying to pull a, f- a fast one? Cause I was oh. a little confused on that. Fast so, one okay. as what? Like I thought like the corner, the demon in quotes as I was watching is like, Oh, it's just S lizard. Like, Oh, no, it's a demon. Take Mr. F around and find out. So they, they confirm it is a demon because he says that that's not what he is or that's not his name to that effect. He's just like, Here, yeah, you, the- you, you, you called me that. Yeah. Nobody else was calling me that. Yeah. 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 All right, fine. And here's the, pro- here's my problem with that, Bob, of trying to understand if they're being literal or not. I've watched so, I've consumed so much media where, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, you just have someone really witty saying they're a demon when really they're not, when they're maybe they're just the first immortal because of reason. So that is where my problem in understanding this comes from. That's why I have to ask. Like, my problem is, is that I watch way too much stuff where it is actually literally demons. And I've seen that too. <laughs> and so for me, it's like I'm really relying on the story to just kind of tell me, to show me the thing, which they never do, which I admit like leads me to think it's a demon. But also, I'm missing on a lot of context here because I haven't had been afforded the luxury to watch all of this through mm-hmm. because of licenses being dropped. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe it's not. So that's that's why I asked the question. I don't really remember if like the demon, like the demon talks to that one guy and is like, "Yeah, we'll meet again someday." I don't remember oh, yeah. if that's actually covered by the show. Is it? Oh yeah. He, he oh, does make a reappearance in the last episode we watched. Yep. Yep. He did. Yep. <laughs> I I just watched it. I do not remember that. Oh my god. Okay. We'll discuss it anyway. after we get to the last episode. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this episode and the story starts in 1711 where Misa and a bunch of alchemists are aboard this ship called the Advena Avis. Um and they are there to summon a demon to obtain eternal life as alchemists do. Can I also interject real quick? I I yeah. just need to get this off of there. Mm-hmm. My notes for this episode really kind of go in back to back while I was watching this was because I didn't I did wasn't sure if it was actually a vampire or maybe they were initially from the start of the episode or a, a demon. I was like maybe it's a vampire. Maybe they're doing kind of like the last flight of the Demeter. Um, so like my notes go from like enter the vampire man to awfully FMA in here to <laughs> awfully Dracula on the Demeter in here. <laughs> Dude, yep. awfully wishmaster in here. Uh-huh. And he is the, the world's end. nicest demon. <laughs> yeah, I'm down with this guy. Like they're they're doing the ritual chant, and he's just like, "Let's uh, all right, enough, enough. I'm here. I hear you. What do you want?" <laughs> I, 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 I appreciate his attitude. I, I we are ruining style. this episode by going out of order so bad. I'm sorry, Joe. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I have tight notes about the scene order, so I'm just hitting the main points. Feel free to, like, jump in if you have notes or comments about anything. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm um, saying I can do that. Yeah. Okay, listen. Why are they on the boat? Did they... Are they... International waters. Okay, because I was just like, did whatever country they're coming from just be like, hey, y'all alchemists are just pains in the ass. You're exiled. <laughs> so they are like pilgrims of like, well, we gotta... We gotta start the new Alchemist Nation because we're not welcome there anymore. Yeah, I'm like, so this is like, I was making a joke. I don't know actually why. Okay. <laughs> water. So here's here's my read on it because I don't I don't think they ever say. 
at least not from what we were given, and I'm going to be judging it in isolation on that part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We we know it's 1711. Mm-hmm. You know, gas station of that era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the joke, you get the joke. Um, they're, they're on, on a boat. I would assume they're onto this boat just because it's like, it's a group of like-minded people with at least it's an like-minded people. It's an alchemist convention. Yes, it is like-minded people because they're all alchemists. But that, as I refer to him always in the notes, uh, grumpy butt <laughs> was very much not in line with everybody else. Okay, like-minded because of their interests, not because they all agree on everything. Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure... You think sure... that would have been in the pamphlet, you know, like... <laughs> not necessarily. 12 o'clock no. demon summoning. I'm pretty sure they're all there to just kind of, like... They're all from different places, and they're all, like, sharing knowledge. It's a symposium. Yeah. Essentially. And that's what you gotta kind of look at through the lens of. This is a group, again, a gathering of like-minded people. Like-minded because of their interests... And what they want to discuss, and because I'm sure in 1711, alchemy frowned upon. Absolutely. It's just grumpy, but really annoys me because it's like, I don't want anything to do with this. This sucks. Oh, by the way, I'm here as well. Mm-hmm. He, I'm sure he was interested. From a distance. I'm sure he was interested and just at, the, at one point said, no, this is not the way I want to go about it. I mean, regardless, th- this is why they're here, to discuss the thing. And for me... Uh, do the I have a disagreement point I feel like this was just their tool to say oh look insert villain I mean yeah, yes, I feel like this, this is, is probably an abridged version of the events as mm-hmm. in the novels because I know there's at least a couple of characters in this episode um, that I don't couple. think we see more of yeah. a couple when well, we see all these Mexican... immortals later there's a Mexican samurai who I want to see more of. And there's like yes, a... Yes, I want to know uh, the samurai of my people. I would say an African native as well in the background. Yeah. You see it, it's like, there's all these people, but we keep to the mafia. If I may, 22 volumes of a light novel. Yeah. Originally 13 episodes of a show. Mm-hmm. You're going to cut some corners. I just want to know more about the one guy who looks like he is either the bassist in a band or <laughs> the pilot of Getter 3 who plays a flute while sitting in a windowsill. Oh, no. Johnny was here? Uh-huh. But anyway, so they're all on the boat. Yeah, they're all on the boat. Discuss. They start summoning a demon. He appears like, yeah, no, I can read your minds. Like, I, you don't got to do the whole thing. I'm here. I'm here. Um, <laughs> I do that like, in real life. Oh, quit it. You don't need yeah. to sacrifice that goat. What are you doing, yeah, you weirdos? To be fair, when I have to go into meetings at my job, it's like, listen, oh, let's, yeah. let's cut the preamble. Let's get to it's the like, point. <laughs> we so all are here. I know what you're thinking. I know what you want. Listen, this summoning ritual really could have been an email. <laughs> I mean, it kind of was after they FMLA a, a sigil into the deck. Yeah, they're prepared to go all into it, and he appears as a shadow on the wall. He gives them their elixir. He gives the person who summoned him specifically the formula for it, or the oh, knowledge huge. of the formula for it. Closest to evil that he gets. Yeah, and oh, no, he. Explains Mike. the the rules for being immortal. Pat someone on the head. Guess what? They're dead. 
Yeah, the I only way for an immortal to die is to be devoured by another immortal via magic pets. But then you gain all of their knowledge. Right. You can transfer knowledge as well. By doing yeah. the same thing, but without being hungry. If you yeah. don't think about eating them, don't even <laughs> let it cross your mind. Like, if you're oh, feeling peckish, don't transfer knowledge. Seriously, I love this. I love that. It's like, here's immortality with rules. Yes. It's like, there is an escape button. However, understand Only... what it is. Yeah, but like so, right from the start, yeah, right from the start, you're presented with a scenario where there is always going to be one left. They made Highlanders. <laughs> yes, they did, but they don't Without act like Highlanders murder. where we meet them. I mean, they do, but they don't. Mm-hmm. I'm sure someone there was Scottish. <laughs> Maybe in the dub. <laughs> it was really weird. I was like, Scotty, is that you? <laughs> Um, but yeah, the other rules are they also can, they can only use their real names when speaking to one another. Like you can't lie about who you are. Um, and as an extension of that kind of also like you can really construct like a false persona to live by. It'll deteriorate. Like it doesn't hold. Um, I mean, it's not really relevant to this story specifically, but it's information that I have. Sure. <laughs> well, okay. if you're an immortal, it's going to be, you know, hey, mm-hmm. look over there. That person hasn't died today. I'm pretty sure I shot him up. <laughs> I yeah. like that, you know, it's not that they have to keep it secret, but they choose to because it's going to be easier in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that's not specifically mentioned, but I think is interesting, is that when your body gets sliced up and you get put back together, uh, the more often it happens, the faster you go back together. Oh. You get good really? at it. Yeah. It's kind of like an immunity. Yes. Super healing. <laughs> kind of like that or super boo-boos. Black. <laughs> so the, the demon, you know, after they summon it, gives Misa the elixir formula. Mm-hmm. And they they all discuss him, and Miza essentially says like, no, no one else must become immortal. You know, it's kind of a thing we should be keeping close, close deal on. But there's some real big dissenters. Um, uh, go ahead. I, I was mean, just gonna say, yay, democracy. Yeah, and I mean, they rightfully point out that not sharing it now doesn't mean never sharing it. I mean, right. Personally, oh, okay, I, I'm on the side of holding on to the information till you see how this affects people. <laughs> As he put it, we could rediscuss it in a couple centuries. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I loved that. I really loved that too. That not just like, we can discuss it later. It's like, let's, let's discuss it in a couple centuries. The implication, that, like unspoken being like, we will be wiser with time. But yeah. Then- and you'll have more of experience with it. Like you see what it does to you, how it affects your life and your thinking and. And the additional subtext of the unspoken, you know, it's not like we don't have time to think about right. this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah. so, like, Huey, Huey steps forward, he's like, I, I wish to suspend this vote. And, and then S. Lizard is like, no, no, we, <laughs> we should give out the knowledge. Give give me the knowledge. This is not a problem that I want the knowledge. <laughs> In my, and this is one of those things, too. I love this because in other shows it's like, the person saying, no, we shouldn't do this thing in most other shows are, is just kind of really stupid and, and assumes, well, everyone will be okay with this. It's okay. <laughs> no, mine's like, 
I, I need to kill S lizard now. <laughs> I need to kill him because this is going to be a problem. And he has the accurate read because he goes in there and I forget who goes with him, but it's like, no, don't do this. I knew you would do this. And I'm like, yes, because I know he's going to do this. And they, they pull back the blanket and son of a bitch. S lizard is already, a, a, you know, you know, 40 chessing. I'm like, I knew you would do this. He left and the, he's out there killing others. The pillows. Yeah, this the pillow straw dummy in the bed. <laughs> he learned that from his 13-year-old daughter when she snuck out of the house. <laughs> and I love that he goes to kill, uh, what was her name, Sylvie? Mm-hmm. Yes. He goes to kill Sylvie. He's like, I, I, ki- I killed your boyfriend. And now I'm going to kill you, too. Because I knew, <laughs> uh, up a little bit. Because her boyfriend... Yeah, sorry, I realized I skipped. Her boyfriend is Miza's brother. And earlier in the night, Miza's, you know, ruminating about this knowledge that he has, and he realizes that, like, this happy, calm acceptance of this immortality is not gonna last, and so he wants to share half of the formula with his brother, so at least if something happens to Miza, they'll have something to go on if they want to make more. And, Mm -hmm. um, so... And then they find out later that um Zillard uh ate his brother. Mm-hmm. No question. Right away. Yeah. Because he's at that. the door. Did when he gave it to his brother. Yeah. Did he lose that half of the knowledge? No. I don't no. think so. He shared I it. I wasn't shared. Sure. It copies it. Okay. I was just wondering because again, there for me there's like two ways to read this. It's like, ah, we divide the knowledge that way. If one of us goes, you know, is attacked, not someone doesn't get it all, mm-hmm. rather than just someone gets half of it while I still have the whole and I'm mm-hmm. still a bigger target. Yeah, it, it's a really weird way of being like, oh, in order to protect this, we'll split it up, except we'll actually just copy it and thus make it eat, make it more available to the public. <laughs> mm, yeah, you're a, you're a smart one, huh? I mean, and- honestly, like. If it had gone properly, no one would have known that he shared that information. Yeah. But well, Zillard was the door. Yeah. Well, he was looking through the keyhole while he did it, so it's like, well, yeah. that was immediately useless. Um, I guess it does sort of explain why in the future we have, like, different tiers of immortals, because I'm guessing the one that most of them get is the elixir made with half-knowledge. Yes. And I was going to bring that up, actually, in the last episode, because okay. there's a specific thing with that. Yeah. Um, okay, Here, here's what I want to ask, though. Mm-hmm. Because before they do the whole um, demon summoning ritual, uh, we get scenes of some creepy guy running around the ship hand-sucking people. Um, yes. That's, so that's, like, foreshadowing. Yeah, that's out of order. That's Sillard killing everybody. Okay, because there is, it is, I honestly could not tell. Like, I'm going to have to assume this is flash-forwarding, yeah. because we never address it again, but... Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like it's starting the episode in media res of the events, and then jumping back to the beginning. Yeah. Um. Okay, Uh. yeah, that that was kind of it. To, you, to your yeah. point, Dick, that's why I wasn't sure if, like... Is this a vampire? Is this yeah. a demon? What, who, what is this? But once once S Lizard attacks Sylvie, I'm like, oh, I see. Yeah, he's been running around killing everyone while Miza was sitting there thinking about the weight of his power and responsibility with the knowledge. 
Um, so yeah, uh. So Sylvie's attacked. Right. Uh, Miza attempts to devour Zillard, but is stopped by Elmer Albatross, who also comes back later in the series, but we don't really see much of that. Um, they find that Zillard's not in his room, they go looking for him, and Zillard's run around, he's devoured a bunch of people at this point. Um, he devours Greto, Miza's brother, and finds Sylvie, and goes to consume her as well, but it doesn't work. Because she didn't drink the elixir. The incredible rock, paper, scissors nature of being vulnerable <laughs> to immortals. Yeah. Now, here's a question again. Just because it was, everything kind of happened so fast, I wasn't sure what I was exactly seeing. And again, COVID brain, for whatever reason, I didn't think to rewind it. Did, when he tried to suck Sylvie... Did his hand explode off, or did someone disarm him? No, he got disarmed, literally. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought, but I'm like, oh, it would be so cool if that was like a safeguard against hurting mortals. Just, <laughs> I'm here to suck. Boom. Ma! <laughs> that would be super cool. <laughs> no, it got chopped that off. That so much better. Um, I don't have a thought right here. Sorry, go on. Mm-hmm. And then, the, um, because know. yeah, earlier, you know, uh, Greta and Sylvie were having a discussion about being immortal. Like, hey, if this demon thing works, like, you know, how is that going to affect us? Like, what are we going to do with an immortal life? Um, I don't know, raise goats. I don't know. <laughs> and so, like, what's his name? S Lizard, you know, like, oh god, I've been found out. Tries to panic run, you know, Sans arm. Mm-hmm. Gets kind of cornered on the main deck, and I thought it was Huey or um, what's his name, Miza that knocked him off, but it wasn't, was it? It was someone else that knocked uh, S Lizard off the boat with him. Elmer. Yeah, oh, Elmer or fell into the boat or fell into the water. What's the other water. guy? Right. He was and like the demon. Demon shows back up and says, "I'm a wishmaster now." Yeah. That's why I kind of want to know what happened with Elmer. Yeah. Which was. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I'm not going to yeah. tell you. But yeah, so he, <laughs> he, he, he for more clearly wishes. survives. Uh, but he gets one wish, specifically one because I'm not one of them, Jin. Mm-hmm. I really did like it too. He's like, you mean like a Jin? It's like, yeah, but you only get one, not three. Mm-hmm. What do I look like? And then we cut back to what the the quote unquote present of the yeah 1930s. like the nineteen thirty present um but yeah so Elmer falls off the ship trying to deescalate the situation um and Sillard ends up falling off the other side of the ship uh, ever to be seen again <laughs> yeah of course I'm sure it's fine <laughs> um yeah so we go back to nineteen thirty. Um, and we have Miza and the, one of the Martillo people named Ronnie discussing, uh, the dangers of fighting with the, the Runaradas. And then as Miza walks out, Ronnie's like, damn, son, can't you tell that Zillard's nearby? Like, shit's ha- gonna happen. Hey, do you think that they're, if they're only half immortals, that they can create half a false persona? 
I don't know how to fix that rule. You can only tell people you can only have a fake last name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so all right. <laughs> Hi, game designer brain checked in when mm-hmm. uh they were talking about um the rules for being immortals. What mm-hmm. happened if two guys try to hand suck each other at the same time? Like, do you, do you just create like a Mobius loop of sucking? Do does it cancel out? And neither works. Do their do so, their hands explode? Here's your argument. Here's your answer. Uh huh. The likelihood that they both hit at the exact same time is so minuscule. Yeah. That the one of them is getting the other first. Someone mm. is not getting to suck. Okay. What if you put your own hand on your head when you're hungry? They said it had to be someone else. Okay. You what don't if... get to end you. Okay, so, okay. <laughs> so here's the other thing. And guess what? This is not game development time. <laughs> no, no, no. This one's good. Because they, they keep showing that, like, this is, it is not regenerative. It is, like, all of your blood and whatever, like, coming back and reforming. What happens if you, like, cut off somebody's hand and then you seal it in a box? That way the blood cannot get back to the body. What happens then? Does it just stay Rock there? Does it... it blows through like Superman. <laughs> It just, the, the hand just swells until it takes up the whole box and it explodes it out. Okay. All right. I like that. Schrodinger's hand. I, I feel like a show that wasn't such a coward would explore these questions. Like, oh, uh-huh. yeah, that's what it is. Like, I'll, I have a lot of things that I could say about Death Note as an anime, not the manga. I, I, I hear significantly different enough that I can't have opinions on that. Mm-hmm. But, that was a series that really went into like, hey, how would this specific case work? Well, let's play with it and find out. And they address a lot of that. And it, it yeah, that it was said bad cool. examples of, about what I want to expect from how other magic uh, stories express their, Nick, their edge cases. Going in with expectations, I have been told, uh-huh. is possibly unreasonable. Yeah, but I just love edge cases. I'm always disappointed when we don't explore edge cases. Uh-huh, that's more fan fiction is for. All right, I will be back after a quick uh, 800-page Google Doc about my Bacchano fan fiction. There you where... go. No, because I'm just kind of describing probably all the things they did to that kid when trying to learn how to kill the immortals. All right. Uh-huh. All right. So there's probably no. a reason they don't tell us these things. Because mm. this series gets way darker if you do. Well... Maybe it should be darker. Or maybe you should have your own show you make. Oh. Oh, I can make a show. I'm sure there are other shows about immortals that get into the nitty-gritty of stuff like oh, that. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of thing I would make, so I'm sure it exists out there. <laughs> Just don't I... name it Better Bacano. I feel like you'd make people upset. <laughs> uh, it'd be Bacano Plus. And... No, I was just, uh, you put a two and you have to add more exclamation points. Oh, okay. See, I, I was going to go with it's a immortality subscription service, um, <laughs> and and we're introducing a new free ad supported tier <laughs> of immortality. <laughs> All right, so that's the end of episode seven and the origin story. Uh, 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 Oberdin. Yep. That that's my take on this episode. Is hey, I should finish uh, Return of the Oberdin at some point. Yes. It did okay. make me think of the game. Agreed. <laughs> okay. So what? 
The Return of the Oberdin is a video game wherein you're piecing together your, uh, what are you, you're an auditor? You're a tax person? You, you are an insurance, an insurance adjuster. Insurance guy, yeah, and you're there and you're trying to piece together what happened on the ship. Yeah, the, the, this boat, the Oberdin, is basically like, what, like, three years late to its arrival from its initial departure and Mm -hmm. uh you are going to this boat to sort of piece together what happened and because you're an insurance adjuster so you need to figure out how much your company needs to pay out that's the premise um but the way that you do that is uh you have this special watch it's a memento mori that when you find a corpse, you can touch it and, like, see the moment of that person's death. And by, like, looking at every moment of every death corpse that you find on the ship, you piece together everything that happened on this voyage. And that's kind of, like, it, it in, in the way that, like, you're, like, jumping around in time and learning, you know, traits about people and relationships at... at in a non-chronologically linear fashion, it is very much like what this show does. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this episode in particular, all taking place on a boat with some uh, supernatural stuff is very much Oberdin. It's good. Okay. It's yeah, good. Sure. These are good things. I hope you like fish. Calamari. So episode 13? Yep. The uh, third episode we watched was episode 13. Both the immortals and those who aren't sing the praises of life equally. Uh, very wise. Uh, we start in 1931 with Claire proposing to Shane in the top of the train. <laughs> Which are oh. characters we haven't really <laughs> touched upon in the other episodes, so we don't need to get into that too much. Joe, um, I think you mispronounced blood-soaked Joey Wiwa. <laughs> I... The way... This dude is having a perfectly calm and rational conversation while covered head to toe in blood. I am saying is uh, making him autistic coded, and that is my stance. No, uh, no further questions. Okay, you, you, that's surely a read you could have on that. Uh huh. He, he's a freelance assassin. Uh, known as Vino, who I believe they mentioned in the first episode. They were like, hey, we gotta call him Vino. Um, and he was adopted into the Gandor family. When he pulls the Gandor. I'm I'm sorry. I know you said Gandor. I heard the Ganondorf family. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's a conductor aboard the train. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that during this, what we will call, I think, accurately a proposition mm-hmm. for many different definitions of the word, mm-hmm. at some point is also, hey, I don't need your immort- immortality elixir. I don't give a shit about that because I will never die. And then someone shoots at him and he's like, hold on, I need to go kill someone who didn't <laughs> hear me correctly. Mm-hmm. Well, he ends the conversation with, like, yeah, you can throw your knife at my back, but I'll just dodge it anyway. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. Up to you. <laughs> like, even if you're not that into me, if you didn't, don't check the why on my do you like me note, I'm cool with that. You, you know, there will be no shot through the heart, but you're, you will just be too late. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, he and ran away. Like, oh. 
he ran away and joined the circus and was an acrobat for a while. Oh, he's a Robin. That's why his physical combat skills are so good. He's a Dex he's Rob. Mm-hmm. He's the real what would have happened to Robin if raised by Batman. <laughs> and then we also get to see Nice for the probably first and only time, really, uh, yeah. in any real length. It's like, by the way, I'm out of bombs. Get, this is your chance to know her description is bomb, 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 girl. Mm-hmm. And I love her for this. I understand it's a thing, and it's not even anime-specific. I just don't get it wearing belts of grenades. One wrong I'm bullet. I'm kind of with you. One wrong bullet. Yeah. I'm, yeah, you know, just, you, you go through a forest, one wrong stick. And I know it takes more than that. I'm just... It's like, just imagine wearing a gas tank on your back and falling off of a train. It's like the equivalent. <laughs> yeah! That would never happen. Uh, but yeah, like, I'm, I'm with you, Bob. This is, and I know I'm probably gonna rankle at least two people here. This is like clothes with way too many goddamn zippers on them that don't really serve a frickin' purpose. <laughs> Those are just dumb. There, I said it. Alright, like so, cool. Nice and, and Nick and Jacuzzi, they're, uh, in the luggage car. Um, they're dumping boxes into the river as the train goes over a bridge. Um, specifically, they're stealing explosives and their gang is down in the river recovering the boxes. Oh. So you don't see people jumping off the train but neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, well, Nick, Nick jumps off and uh, Shane jumps off but the, the Shane's from the top of the train. They don't see her. Um, and that's how she ended up in the river on a box. A box of explosives. Mm-hmm. The safest um, place in the world. Yeah, and then meanwhile, on the roof, there's a pool of blood that appears and freaks out Jacuzzi and everyone because they think it's the rail tracer, who's this mysterious entity that's been killing people on the train. Yeah, they've been having a whole different show <laughs> on this train. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. This is the part where I kind of have a Nick moment of like, Okay, hold on. What? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and even bo- before that, or at the same time as that, I mean, my my memory of exact events. We have Ch- uh, a knocked out Chaz and Isaac and Miria because they care, mm-hmm. because they are the best. Mm-hmm. And then Flamethrower Man is fighting um, what Jacuzzi. I call Headbutt Boy. Yo, oh my God, he has a gun in his heart. I believe was the line. Yep. Yeah, well, that's later on, but yes, he has a gun in his heart. <laughs> Flamethrower Man has a gun on his hand. They're best friends. Tattoo Boy, that's where I was looking at. Tattoo Boy uses his headbutt, and it was moderately effective. <laughs> oh my, I love that we get the flashback, and he has the face tattoo when he's a little baby. It's a big yeah. cry, baby. Specifically, he got it because Nice was in that explosion and got her face burned, and he wanted to show solidarity with her, so he put a tattoo on his face. Oh my god. Because he's, he's a good boy. He's a good boy. Right, yeah. yeah. See, here's, here's Don't the mind thing. Jacuzzi. I... There is so little of the show that I actually remember from the time when I watched it all the way through, but the thing that I remember is, like, A, this whole flying pussyfoot side of the story. 
could absolutely be its own series. Like this is yeah. this would stand alone as its own story. Um and in that sense, Jacuzzi is definitely the main character. I don't remember who Firo is, even though Carol <laughs> was like, he's the most main character ish. Which He's the game man. I, I mean, I guess in a no, little don't bit. Don't mock Firo. I like Firo. I'm not I'm not saying there's anything wrong with him, but it, it I you know from I think Spiro's all right. What I remember is that it's like, yeah, I guess he's the main character because he's going to be the one to eat Salazard at the end of the show. <laughs> but like, I don't know. He's he's otherwise like I could see him like getting his first Charmander and going out into the world. He's kind of got that kind of face. Thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Boy, he looks like a Pokemon trainer. I'm sorry. He has a Charmander <laughs> and a Furo. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty good. Oh, he also oh, so he's like um Pokemon Adventures uh protag. Uh-huh. He's yeah, red. Right. He's not Ash. He's red. No wait, you know, what is it in one. Japanese? Satoshi. Mm-hmm. Okay, got that. Yeah, Ash. Yeah. All right. So back in 1930, we have Ennis on the hood of a car after being hit kind of by Isaac and Miria, um, and we have Sillard in the alley confronting Miza and, like, about to eat him. Finally. Finally. I love Enos. Uh, after 10,000 years. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Ennis puts, says nice things to Isaac and Miri and asks them not to forget her, because uh, the broader story is that she is a homunculus who was created by Zillard, um, oh. and he can kill her with his mind in an instant. Um, so she, FMA in here. she works for him, like mostly unwillingly. Um, but oh, just you know, like, uh... as is the case with all the homunculus he's created, as they uh, gain more life experience, they develop their own personalities and start to kind of turn against him. So, which one is she? Is she lust? Is she greed? I don't know which number she is. I was, I was just gonna say at this point, it, it sounds kind of like, um, Jeff Bezos and all the workers at Amazon warehouses. Oh, you're not wrong. Mm. <laughs> Except he didn't make them. No, but he can kill them with a thought. Funny thing you may not have known I mean, about working at Amazon. That would explain the bald head. Yeah, Shane is also a homunculus. I can't remember if she's actually a homunculus, but she is the result of an experiment her father was doing to see if Immortality could be uh, inherited. Yeah, is that why she's mute? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, but yeah, there there are a bunch of other homunculi running around at one point. Um, hey, hey, is is the main players of the flying pussyfoot side story? I do have to say it every time, and yeah. I will apologize though. Sorry, <laughs> um, I won't. Is it a weird collection of like? fetish characters we have a mute we have a burn victim we have a crybaby we have no um, lad we have nope kiboshing that train immediately interesting Um, direction you went with that not talking about this yeah listen you gotta think right from the record you gotta think about it this would be an anime watched by people in second i see where no Uh like i i see where you're coming from I don't want to have this discussion. We're not including this in the podcast. Fair enough. I was going to say, it's interesting that they had some representation characters because I thought it was really cool you had a mute in the story. And you had a burn victim who, you know, 
didn't give a shit essentially about their burn. On, on the but flip now side, I feel dirty. there's only one, well, one speaking uh, person of color. That's in this yeah, episode that right. we watched of the three. Mm-hmm. Listen, it's not a perfect system. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, arguably accurate representation for the times? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you're one of those you gotta kind of nod your head at it. And they're in Europe. Is it Europe? Is it? Is this through the trains? I thought that it was in the United States. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no, they are in New York. The, the, the train is trans- coming into Grand Central. Sorry, I'm thinking of the the Orient Express being the, the trans... Um, what's it called? It's trans... No. Yeah. No, this one's transcontinental, which is what made me think of the Orient Express. Trans <laughs> Anyway. Oh, I can't wait till we get to that movie. <laughs> Transformer. I can wait until we get to that movie. Okay, anyway. Alright, so back in 1931 on Pussyfoot, Kuzi is able to push Goose off the train, causing the flamethrower's gas tank to explode when it hits the rails. And Isaac and Miria attempt to protect protect Cheslaw from the blood, which turns out to be his blood mm-hmm. returning to his body. You attacked me with my own blood. <laughs> or cheese. And we get a little glimpse into Cheslaw's little story here, where he's, like, talking... He's trying his, to kill people! He's trying to talk himself into just absorbing them. Um, he's horrible! In his defense, he was tortured yeah. A long time, and then eventually ate his torturer. So. Where's that story? He. Earlier. So he has that. All of that knowledge and personality in him as well. And I feel like that has heavily influenced. He got, like, real paranoid and, like, came to the realization that, you know, like, all the mortals are gonna have to kill each other at some point. And, you know, I will say to comment on that, I. When they. Um, first set up the rules of this how, this how immortality work. Mm-hmm. Even I didn't think about something like that. I just like, okay, you, you know, you get tired of living, you go somewhere. Like, but what? And then obviously S. Lizard decides, ah, but what if I do it against your will? Um, no, I never considered the moment of you absorb them and gain their knowledge, but never did the, the box check in my mind at the time and their personality, which really makes it one of those, like, buyer beware if another immortal comes to you and says, take me out. Yeah. Because especially if you know them and you know their history and it's maybe not the best. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you, you are literally living with that. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I was, like, they, they play on that a couple of times because, like, um... In, back on the boat, S. Yeah. is like trying to be like, "Oh, look, your boyfriend's in here with me. Your mother's in here with us." Um, <laughs> but um, I read that as he was totally just like playing it, trying to to like you know get her to mm-hmm. give in to him. And I don't, I, I think it is more interesting if it became like a question about like is having a collection of like memories enough to form a personality or can the same experiences in memory lead to different personalities based on the person who picks it up this show has no interest in answering that question yeah and Um, i i i'm sorry i did misspeak a little bit like 
Tesla had, he absorbed all of the memories and I meant that it affected his personality, not that he I don't think that assumed he the personality of yeah. the guy. I, I, I think still to that point though, the fact that it affects you like that, and it would make sense it would, would alter your personality to X yeah. degree. And yeah. that's still very Especially when you're a yeah. child. But but yeah. but like but like to to like sort of suddenly agree with every take that the person you absorbed has is I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's what the show is suggesting. No, right, and I'll, I'll agree with you there. But again, putting back in the context of Chaz, there, it makes sense that a child would maybe be more inclined by their nature to be put into the "I agree with this" or "I am more likely to do this now" because now you have a lot more memories than you had to begin with influence. Yeah, he has all these memories of how to kill people, and he has this experience of no one's looking out for me, like, ever. all of these immortals are gonna try and kill each other. Like... Who's gonna suck me? Yeah, so he just becomes... He becomes very paranoid, and is, like, you know, trying to talk himself into doing what he needs to do to survive as he sees it. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Unfortunately, Isaac and Miria are too dumb to figure out what's going on, and they just... The first one is bad. And they just love him. Which is... Ugh. Beautiful. Nice of them. (laughs) Get over it, Bob. I'm on your side, Bob. (laughs) Get over it. This is (laughs) so beautiful. Nick, I'm with you on this. This is so beautiful, the power of, you know taking in someone that's traumatized and helping them work through it. Yes, at hyperspeed here, but still, it's a beautiful idea. Do you think yeah. the power of stupid makes good parents? No. I mean, I don't but, know. I've seen some pretty dumb parents and some kids come out all right. I, that doesn't mean they were good parents. I, I think that's actually I mean, they were arguably good. For me, with, with these two, is that, like, normally I do hate it when, like, everything comes up roses for for mm-hmm. stupid characters but like they've got wrapped up in all of this in large part because of their obliviousness to all of it so like i i think this is like they are characters who like are sort of getting their come up and for their their obliviousness and and all of that like like they're kind-hearted and they at some point are paying for it so i'm just like ah, if they can have a moment where they win i'm all right with that yeah, and that's kind of, I'm on the same boat with you because, and again, Bob, you've known me long enough to know, I am not the one where I'm okay nine times out of ten, and it all worked out. I, but th- in this case, I'm like, there, there is kind of almost a, a, a logic to it in the context strictly of the show. Because let's be real, anybody else you would have run into, uh, pro- he probably would have been right on his... His mm-hmm. take about like, oh, this person's just gonna eat me. As, as yeah, he's like, I need to eat them before they eat me. It's basically right. his mentality. And then they immediately subvert his expectations, which again, dealing with this massive amount of negative memory and hard drive space, essentially, it's like, huh. Um, error four or found. Error four or four. You know, response not found. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I could imagine it having that in the context of what we see here. Again, any other show in the real world, I'm saying, no, that's not what happens. They are now a 2020 special. On the flip side, I do have several questions about Cheese. Mm -hmm. As far as, like, his upbringing and such, because this is 
not quite 200 years later. So he's been captive for that long. Mm -hmm. Is that what happened? Is that he got kidnapped early on and then just was locked away for torture? Because he had no chance to learn outside of this point about the outside world? Because in 100 years, yes, you're immortal, but you could learn some things. Um, I'm trying to find out how long he was... I would say even if he is 50 years, if he is living strictly from the perspective of a child and being likely treated as such, he can learn some things, sure, but, you know, again, when you're a child... You're saying he can't get smarter, though? Then that really limits... I'm not, and again, Bob, I'm not saying that. I'm just throwing out a hypothetical. I understand. All I'm saying is there is the possibility to become stunted because there are incredibly intelligent people out there. But also, you can have people, like, if they don't really have the interest to learn, and I'm not saying that's what he is here, but possibly if he didn't have the interest to learn, he may not have really developed. He also may have just hid because he didn't know what else to do. Because his is an interesting character. I want to feel bad for him. I don't know enough about him. And I'll be honest, I'm, I'm operating on the assumption that, yeah, this was probably very, like, less than 10 years later, this kid is now someone's torture porn. But that would have to have been an immortal, which I guess it was. Yeah, because he it was. It was specifically his guardian, who he was on the boat with. Okay. Okay. So that, so that does, that does help lead into it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, that was the getter pilot, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, no. Never trust a How do you feel about getter now, buddy? <laughs> oh, I still like Getter. That, that's why they kicked this guy off the team when they yeah. when they upgraded when the the Getter got its mid season uh, redesign. You know, yeah, yeah, due to problematic pilot matters. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that does lend me some sympathy to him because mm-hmm. this episode definitely brings uh, him to the forefront. Yeah, the three episodes that we watched. I'm assuming he's probably in a lot more episodes than just yeah, he's in these more episodes. And I'm all. I'm also. I would put money down that he is like introduced as like, oh, he's just a kid. I don't know. And then he's like, I'm gonna kill everyone here. And you're like, whoa, little he, kid's a bad has, guy. And then we he has two hundred years of darkness that he's working yeah. through. Okay, and you know what? Um, listen, game design brain coming back. It's I not actually an elixir of youth. It's not actually a uh-uh. cure all. It's, it's immortality. It, right, it's immortality, right. but everybody seems to be locked at the age they currently are. What they kind of explained that in this episode. What yep. biological level of locked are they? Because, like, as kids grow and develop, the, the like, nature and construction of their brains does actually change, which will change, you know, their, their personality and how they respond yep. to things. So, like, it would be, like... I like when we, um, I hate that I'm about to say this, but like they <laughs> start to address it in Twilight mm-hmm. when they talk oh, no, about no, like no, Edward Cullen has been a teenager for however long. And it's just like, better oh, example, yeah, well, rel- um, arguably better example, uh-huh. um, interview with a vampire, the yeah. girl that they, um, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but like that idea of just like, oh, like, cause, cause that also changes. Cause I, I feel like I've seen enough of the stories where, like, oh, this little kid is actually an immortal, and so, you know, it's basically this 200-year-old mature person faking being a little kid to keep up appearances. But the idea of just, like, no, this this kid's actually, like, still got the brain of a kid after 200 years. It's just, like, oh, you're going to be way more messed up. and like Yeah, they're going to be processing things at a child level. It's a torn thing for me because you have learned responses even as a child. Yeah. 
I think that's why it would be an interesting sort of character premise to explore. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I, that would I be have a for you. different show. What's going to happen? Oh. <laughs> uh, so back in the alley with Sillard and Ennis <clears throat> and Miza, um, uh, Ennis, of course, goes after Sillard and he's just like, ah, oh, well. This always happens with my humunculi. You start, you know, thinking for themselves. Um, and, like, just kind of paralyzes her with his mind instead of killing her outright because he wants to give her a slow and painful death. Um, and then Isaac and Miria step out of the car and start throwing rocks at him because they don't know what's going on, but they know that their friend is in trouble. So, mm-hmm. there we go. Um, and then Firo, the Gandors, and the Martillos are all still alive. And, to Sillard's surprise, um, because they've drank the elixir. Um, so Ennis tells Firo how to devour Sillard. And then they enter the find out stage. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The Montagues and the Cadillacs. <laughs> Everybody gets together for the finale. Mitsubishi's and the Cadillacs gets together. Whatever it is from West Side Story. Sharks and the Jets? Never seen that one either. Snap your fingers. You have so. I have not. I have made you watch that movie. You have not. You cannot have been with me for 15 years and I have not made you watch that movie. Nick, I have a suggestion. Uh Did you perhaps go to your happy place while (laughs) watching this movie? It's not that bad. It's not that My happy place. Hmm. No, you would have noticed if I was playing Quake. <laughs> Joe, did his eyes glaze over? <laughs> I don't remember. Can, maybe he. It's entirely possible that I did not that. actually make him watch it. That I have just had it on several times while I've been here, and he's been in the room and not actually watching it. Maybe we and were going to get to the original, that. right? Not the new one. Oh, of course, the new one. Oh my god, I got so mad at the new one. Maybe Ugh. I didn't know there were two. Ugh. Maybe we were going to get to that after you finished watching Space Ghost Coast to Coast with me. Mm. Oh, shush. Oh. Uh, listen, you go to LeakyCD.net. <laughs> Flash Podcast, listen to the latest episode of Orbiting the Ghost Planet, and learn more about this argument. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, uh, S. Lizard bites the big one by getting bit. Yep. And, and then now the FBI shows up. Firo has his brain. And it does not turn evil as far as we know. No. Also, He's though, like, mature adult at this point. Yeah. Not a child. <laughs> and even though uh, Mesa is like, oh, well, poop, you've got the curse. <laughs> I'm assuming they explain in the upper, other episodes, but I can't help but listen to that and think, passing around the passing around the herp or something? <laughs> the immortality herp, yes. No, they all get periods now. Oh, Wait, hold on. Crazy. What was that movie? Um, it follows. He's got that. Oh, <laughs> You've, I'm sorry. You've got it. Follows disease. <laughs> now, sexually, if I understand correctly, a sexually the, transmitted ghost. Yep. The gangsters got the weakened version of the elixir. Yes. So, um, Sillard's been working on recreating the elixir using the half of the formula that he has. Um, so there is a second round of elixirs that 
makes you immortal, but you still age and eventually die from old age. Yep. So you're they got someone immortal, in a you're not immortal. Right. Yeah, they got someone in a barrel who, like, I don't know, was a cheater? A killer? That's Detroit Gervais? What was his name? Ricky Gervais. I don't remember. Uh, where are we going? Dallas? Dallas. I just, I just know that uh, in the opening, he's the one who is like, um, yeah, like the river, yeah. Like, like we start on like the title on his face, and then cut to like him in action, and he just looks like he's in a snow globe somewhere, and it's just like, <laughs> all right, that's where he is. Yeah, was the whole time. So one of the the plot lines is that his sister's been looking for him. Um, well, she gets to find him, and it wraps in with the some of the gangster stuff that's going on because he killed some Gandor members while he was retrieving the elixir. Um, I gotcha. Yeah. And then he gets to, you know, take a cement ba- oil barrel <laughs> dive into Hudson. Mm-hmm. Until the FBI on the scene says, wait, wait, wait. Can, can we have him to study? That wasn't the FBI, that was the Ruderata man who was behind the desk in one of the earlier episodes. He's like the head of the Ruderata family. Was he? I could have sworn that was the FBI guy. Nope. Nope. Um, so yeah, Eve allows uh, Don Ruderata to examine her brother in a laboratory to figure out all this immortal stuff in exchange for bringing him back and letting her see him. And then... All right, and then, uh, what is his name? Uh, Mr. Bloodsuit. Mr. S- Mr. Satan dies in this scene. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which Got that's, one last half sentence. Let's, let's admit it, he probably deserved it. Yeah. yeah. He's doing bad stuff on his own. He gets no elixir. He was a loose cannon. Causing more problems than he was worth. So... They do go back to the train, though, and um, I'm not imagining that, right? I did see that. Yeah, the next thing that I have is, in 1931, the Pussyfoot arrives in New York, mm-hmm. and then we have Isaac and Miria arriving with um, Chez, and they present him as their present to, um, to Ennis as a younger brother. Sure, that's how that works. Yeah, and then, but, but Chesla sees Miza and just kind of, like, starts crying and is like, oh, I think they know each other. I'm, I'm sure of, that plays out of, more of stuff that we've seen in an earlier episode that we didn't see. Yeah. Well, cause, like, Miza's the nice one, and I think Chez hasn't really seen him since the events on the boat. That would be. I was thinking of when Chain was on, or not Chain, but, um, Joey, knock off Joey Wewa was on the train and he found Chain's message that she carved into the train. That's later. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's later? Okay. <clears throat> Alright, so Miza and Cheslaw kind of make up. Um, and then in 1930, we have um, at a party where everyone's toasting. Um, Ronnie comments that he knew about the elixir, but he didn't stop anyone from drinking it and believes that everyone will make the best of it, 
which is exactly what he expected from them in the first place. Because Ronnie Either is way, that's back, the demon. The demon that's been hanging around watching the events unfold. Wow, I did not notice that he was in that scene at all. I don't know how I missed that. Um, and then we have, in 1931, Claire on the top of the train, finding Jane's response, um, which states that she will wait for him forever in Manhattan. And he's like, she still gets a voice. And he's like, cool. I'll find her after I finish doing my stuff for the Gandor brother. It would be useful if we knew each other's names, but oh well. <laughs> we'll make it work. Just look for the one person you recognize in a crowd that hasn't aged. That also helps. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, the last shot we get is 2001 of Isaac and Miria walking around with a bag of stolen cell phones. Because they're trying to save the falling birth rate. Yeah. <laughs> and can we talk about the setting? exactly how they're walking around or as their choice of contemporary, clearly contemporary attire, mm-hmm. such as a very out of place Isaac <laughs> with a afro and uh, Miria looking absolutely like she just stepped out of Woodstock. Mm-hmm. I love them. They're perfect. I mean, it fits their spirits. It's very. It nice. does, and I love them. I'm sure they thrived in the 70s. <laughs> I, you know I what? Bet they did. Why did they pick New York 2001? Uh. Well, let me let me counter that point, Bob. Why does every movie that you know something has to happen in China in? Pick Beijing or Taiwan. I thought they were in uh, Tokyo. No, they were in Manhattan. They're okay. in New York, where there are two Empire State buildings. Okay. Which was sort of an interesting... Well, I mean... Also- Their comments about the declining birth rates, I think I just assumed they were in Japan. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, I, I guess if it was written in Japan, maybe they just sort of assumed that was a wider scale. I- who knows? <laughs> um. Speculation. It's a ter- mm-hmm. hell of a drug. Uh. I just definitely took it that, like, they are the kind of people who are trying to do good in the world immediately around them, so they just never left Manhattan. They yeah, got true. off the train, and <laughs> there they have been since. Until an outside force. <laughs> Until an outside force acts upon them and leads them somewhere else. Puts them on a different train. Well, considering the show ended... Puts them in Ikebukuro, which is where they make a cameo in Durarara, which is the next series that was adapted mm-hmm. from the light novels by this guy. Oh, it really? <laughs> I've never seen yeah. that one. Yeah, oh. that one, oh man, you would really like one of the characters in it, because it's a Dullahan, which is one of those headless fey, uh creatures. Oh, the one with the cat ears helmet? Yeah. Uh-huh. That they yeah. they added it, into uh, the Halo multiplayer cosmetic options at some point. Oh my god! Uh huh. Yeah. So instead of a horse, well, she it's a, it's still her horse, but she has a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. It's her horse because it's like modern Ikebukuro. Listen, there's a cameo from a completely different, unrelated uh, anime and manga series that's in there, mm-hmm. and it's so in universe to say that this anime slash manga series exists there, and it's a series I'm saving. That also features J. Michael Tatum for season two. Uh-huh. All I can say is when Joe talks about a certain nail polish company, 
I don't pronounce it hey, uh, hollow. I pronounce <laughs> it the same name as this character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. And I'm sure we'll probably put Durar on season two, because honestly, I like that show too. High five. I'll, I'll look forward to it. I'll wait more. Man. <laughs> and that's all of the episodes that we watched. I only put three because well, I figured that was a good. We we did leave one important part off. Mm. The fact that they realize they haven't aged. Oh yeah, right. That was where I was going with that. <laughs> we find them mm-hmm. in two thousand and one. They're stealing cell phones, and it suddenly dawns on them. On Isaac, specifically, because he's the one who has all the ideas. Mirio just goes along with whatever he says. Um, that they haven't aged at all. And they're like, wow, cool, it's like every day's our birthday. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, you know who they kind of remind me of? <laughs> who? Other than Bill and Ted. They kind of remind me of a less intelligent Lupin of Fujiko. Like a very pure-hearted version. Because they're thieves, right? Yeah, yeah. I like that. And they're kind of, they're just kind of bumbling incompetent thieves in their own way. But it all works out. It's true. So yeah, I, that that just kind of occurred to me as I was thinking. I was like, yeah, Lupin and Fujiko would absolutely dress like it was the 70s in 2001. Um, but yeah, that's the quick version of this show, I guess. Uh, so I guess it's time for final thoughts. How are we feeling? For you, Chuck. Well, I'm going to approach this first because I, I've been thinking about this since Nick started talking about certain things he had concerns with. And I'm going to revisit a, a little self trope from very early, from some of the earlier episodes, of, especially with the anime that I like that that I haven't really gone back to. So go with me on this journey, Nick. Mm-hmm. Considering what you've seen of Bakano and what you may or may not remember, would you say, or would you be against the idea if now in 2023, going into 2024? 2025, maybe even, if news came out of a relaunch of the show, let's say maybe two seasons long, one covering the events of Firo's side of the story kind of things, and the other co- uh, with the pussyfoot. <laughs> uh, it's so much worse when you don't say flying pussyfoot. I don't know why. Okay, the flying pussyfoot. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Would you, and between the two, you get this, you know, you'll still have some kind of crossover, but you'll have like one season that kind of leads into the other, and you get maybe a little build up as the one season starts to end for the other, and through the two, you kind of tell the story maybe of what happened in, you know, 1711. Would you be more into that, especially if like, let's say, instead of 13 episodes, let's say they were 26 each, just to throw a number out there from other older shows when that used to be kind of like the short end of things. Um, between, you know, on one season and 26 on another. And they kind of fleshed out some of these aspects more. Like maybe you, you do get a couple episodes that touch on poor Chaz and what happened to him. Would you be up for that? 
That's too long. Yeah, honestly, my issue isn't so much with what they do or don't cover or the the length or anything. Like, you you could lengthen this out and sort of maybe give each member of the ensemble cast a little more room to breathe with their, their backstories or their arcs or whatever. But I, I think my, my main issue is... I would almost want to see the version that is more like a spiritual reboot where you lean, kind of like I was saying, lean harder on the VP and Carol, lean harder on the idea of a like do what theoretically their job was and like say, okay, how do we make this a story where all the parts weave together? Right. Cause I, I think my, it kind of in, you know, second watching, second partial watching, whatever. Like, I, I think my issue is still, like, when you do the, like, parallel story stuff like this, what you what you would normally do is, like, you would play things normally until the bookstore gets shot up. Then you would have a piece of the story from the earlier story that says, oh, by the way, that then that part is a plot progression on its own. But during that, you learn, by the way, these characters are immortal, at which point then you return to the bookstore and now armed with this new information, the the narrative takes a new turn that is not what you thought it was going to be when you were last here, right? Like that okay. is... That is really the thing you do when you do parallel stories like this because they feed into each other. And it's just like, yes, they're their own story, but each one is giving you information that affects the other. And when you cut between them is when, you know, uh, new pieces need to reveal be revealed to explain what happens next in the other story. Yada, yada. Um, okay, so you're you're answering something I was really kind of trying to get at and fishing for, which is I'm trying to dissect what your issue was with this. And it's really an issue of you want something more semi primarily linear, but semi linear. You don't want it where it's a shotgun. I, I want, like I said, I want stories that are intertwined, not just two or three stories told at the same time right now, at least from the parts that we watched. And honestly, each individual episode does it so much that I, I think you know, I can start leveling this criticism even without rewatching the whole thing is this idea of just like the stories sort of progress through themselves at the same pace, but watching one piece of one of the stories doesn't really help us with the other piece. It just sort of. So you're saying like normally when you have shows that have different stories going on, they're telling the parts of the stories that kind of relate to each other, either like they mirror like an emotional arc or uh, events in one affect stuff in the other. Whereas this is just, we're telling parts of stories at random seemingly without any connecting thread between. Yeah. Like, like the stories okay. hit the second act at the same time, the stories hit their climaxes pretty much at the same time. But Kind of going to back to to what you were suggesting earlier, if they did like the gang war as a season one and then the flying pussyfoot as a season two, 
I think that would feel very much like it feels here. And then like everything about stuff on like, and then like you could pick whatever the third thread was you want to pick could mm-hmm. be the stuff they flash back to through both. Cause that's the whole thing. The reason you do a flashback is to explain something that either just happened or is about to happen. Mm-hmm. I think it feels a little better when it's what's about to happen. And it's just like, Oh, you mean this is a piece in play. And then you watch that piece land back in the present. Right. Um, okay. And so, yeah, that's the thing. The way that they do it right now, they just kind of, uh, we didn't really see it when we covered standalone complex, but kind of the way that was having, you know, standalone episodes and then the, uh, like ongoing storyline and they were just kind of shuffled together like a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I feel like that's kind of what they're doing with the different storylines here, but there is absolutely a way that like there, cause there is this like layering of stuff, right? Cause there's stuff uh in the flying pussyfoot storyline that um is sort of explained or set up or is dependent on stuff during the um the the mafia wars and and all the layers of that which is set up by stuff on the boat and the demons and the immortal drama and all of that so like there is like a hierarchy that this show does not make use of and that's why it's the whole framing device of a of of carol and the director are it's kind of like that like to to me there is a way that these things like fit together to do the parallel story thing that they just don't sort of do so to have them at the beginning suggesting something that then you'd fail to really pull through one and i'm just like "Mm, you should have just like not said something and let it sit on its own because you just suggested like yes there is a good way to do it and then you kind of don't do it the good way, you know? And, and I'm just like, that's, it's like, mm, like, I'm not saying it's easy to do. I'm not saying I could have done it really any better, but like, don't call your shots. It feels very, um, kind of pretentious to have these characters here who are very much like, ah, there is a right way to tell this story. Like, even if you did tell it right, that's a very pretentious thing to do. Interesting. You know, like I said, my my postulating of this is really just kind of fishing to try and understand your point better, and and I get it, and I I realize where you're coming from on that. It definitely is a point of view issue, uh, issue wrong word, point of view. Period. Um, no, my point of view is usually an issue. It's fine. <laughs> my my sort of simple answer, I think, is if they were to do the like you know millionaire reboot of this show, I could see them doing something. Uh, the way they they reapproach like Trigun with Stampede, I could mm-hmm. see like, hey, we're going to you know reapproach the source material and maybe readapt and and sort of restructure, repace a little bit. And I think there would be like a a like a masterclass show out of that, or at least one that like it it wouldn't take a lot to make the show like really great. It it just needs a little bit of you know restructuring to focus on that. Um making the parallel uh, nature of the stories really intertwined with each other. All right. On to our end of show wrap up. Oh, sorry. Does anyone else have any other roundup thoughts that they want to? Well, we have our usual question. Hey, Bob, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Listening to the thoughts that you two had. The way I viewed it, I actually feel is both the same and different because we watched this in a bubble with three episodes. Right. Uh, I viewed it as, uh, 
kind of a question of what would happen back in this time in particular uh, if there were immortal people. Mm -hmm. And so it's just the way my brain interpreted it, interpreted it is three separate stories, two, three ending uh, other, you know, storyline A or story spot Mm -hmm. B centered in or out, but it's looking at individuals. I didn't try to make this one cohesive story in my head. I just looked at individuals. Okay, this is what's happening with this character and what they're doing with their immortality. Mm -hmm. What is this person doing? This kid's getting tortured. This group created a mob. These people are thieves. Uh, And take it from there. I didn't try to link everything together, even though all these characters knew each other because of uh, Episode 7, we are aware of this. But... Eh. <laughs> oh, yeah? As weird as it sounds, I didn't... It plays a little on me. It helps to explain the characters and how they got their immortality. Mm-hmm. But that didn't influence my viewing of the story. It's just, this is how they became immortal. They're still separate people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the end and the beginning were kind of like bookmarks okay, so we're all just meeting up at the train station again. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Just seeing how different people would react with these powers. Most of them yeah, being horrible say, people. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I would say from from what you described, that's kind of similar to how I kind of ran with it, really. It's like, the, here are all these lives that happen to be immortals because of thing. And then we see where they went and essentially a culmination event or events for certain stories. And almost like it's a slice of life aspect, if that makes sense. And both to counter and prove your point in it concerning those two characters at the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, Vice President and Carol. For me, the thought of, well, who do you focus on comes, these stories are separate. They weren't meant to be together. Mm-hmm. they're like so who do we focus on this person this person well how about this person the only thing I don't care for is that implies that something happens we don't know what that is that's yeah I, I and like yeah that, that, I think that's part of why like overall the show works really well because it is this idea of like it, it's a couple of different takes on like hey how what would these different kinds of people do with immortality and how would that like if if you had this like um yeah it, it, it's almost like a um a sort of wider like personality that will possibly we I guess we were okay. not given a cast of good characters to start off with none of these people would we have proclaimed great these were the alchemists going out to summon a demon <laughs> mm-hmm. so for us to be like there should be good people in this mm these are flawed individuals hey little johnny let's go out on a boat with a bunch of fun people for the afternoon okay daddy so it's a bunch of character studies yeah and like i was saying it is kind of you better like the uh having a uh an ensemble which is a collection of little freaks like we didn't even talk about in the first episode the one creepy torture guy who just sticks his nose through the door and just like ah yeah let me just clean up from the last guy or i could leave it messy and it'll hurt more like we didn't even (laughs) talk about that guy but Uh 
I feel like we could have omitted Carol and the Page Master <laughs> altogether. I started the show with episode seven as episode one. I kind of posed it as a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. I th- I think that would have worked if you definitely did it like very episodic, um, in terms of like, oh yeah, today we are looking at this character and how they are traversing through the world with this immortal power and their particular collection of, um, you know, character traits. But but I think the way it's presented kind of gives us a flow. Right? Yeah. Instead of waiting. Ten episodes to catch up with that one person in the background that you're kind of hoping that they reference. Uh, you get mm, for parlance more bang for your buck with each episode, which doesn't always make for a great episode. That would be dependent on the viewer. Yeah, d- d- depending on like which group you're catching up with, it's just like okay, we get three more seconds from this character. Cool, but we'll see him every episode. I think that's where it comes down to, as Joe likes to point out, that's more viewer-specific. Each of us are not going to like or dislike every single show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. For what it's worth, since I'm, I'm not sure if Bob really gave his final say on it, Joe, if you want to put this on a drive and I can casually get to it, I would be happy with that. Because, oh, yeah, definitely. Because for me, it's like, judging strictly in isolation these three episodes... They do a thing which I like to do. I think I've mentioned it before with like certain book series. If a book series goes on long enough, I don't go to the first book. I wanna, I will decide if I like it by, you know, reading a, a middle book or a random book past like the beginning. That's and so weird. That, and if, well, here's the thing. I don't always do that, but if it's someone's recommending to me and it's a series, I will do that because if it can make me want to know about the people in it, if I can sit there and say they were talking about a thing and they make it interesting enough to me to want to go back and look at it, I'm like, okay, that's good. That's good writing. Let me go back and look at it for, again, from my perspective. And, and I use this, I'll be honest, Bob, Bob will immediately know what I'm referring to here in a second. There was a, a novel series of Star Trek called the Corps of Engineers. And I jumped in after, in a, like a book right, right before or right after a major event happened where essentially you have this major turning point. And just because I'm like, I know nothing about this. Let me see if there's any good. And it made me interested enough in these characters to want to go back and learn about them. For example, that's like the biggest one I can think of because I think that's like the last time I really did this. Um, but that's how I handled like a lot of things in my like twenties. Cause I don't want to spend a lot of time on a book series that I'm waiting for it to get better. I want to know, in the sense of that, I want to jump in and see is this good enough to make me care to go back and actually start and learn it to understand it, or is this something that's like, uh, well, I tried and it didn't hook me, so goodbye. So uh, that's what I do with the beginning of the book. Well, so so actually, uh, to to go back to what Bob was saying about the thought experiment of episode seven as episode one, I, I think that's exactly why this show doesn't start there and why i think that's a smart move for sort of like trying to play with that idea of like we're saving flashbacks for for going back because that's kind of what they're doing we had like you want to start you want to have this framing device so you can sort of jump forward and show you like hey here's some of the crazy stuff going on and then that 
you know, you hook them with like the, the sort of most chaotic moments in the middle, and then you go back and start filling things in to show how you get there. Um, like, like, you know, when, when that's we... why everything starts in media res yeah. in general in popular culture. Cause it's like, Whoa, how did these guys get into this wacky situation? Well, cause, cause I, I was, uh, well, when you talked about Gurren Lagan last time, that's exactly why I picked like one, two, three, 22 or 21 or whatever it was for that exact same reason. So it, it's, 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 it's not a bad idea to do it that way. I'll be honest too. A lot of series kind of, if I know the series is getting good, when I do that whole, I watch or read in the middle, there are a lot of series that I like, but I hate how they start. It's like, God, this is so paint by numbers. And I get that's normal, but it's like, there are sometimes like getting through that paint by numbers beginning may be what shuts me off. But if I drive into it and say, I know I want to get to this point. I know it's going to be interesting to this point. That is enough to sustain me through maybe like a rough first couple episodes or a rough first book. We've we've been watching the Fast and Furious movies in order lately. And man, by the time you get to even five, that is a different series from one. And, you know, Fast and Furious, maybe not exactly relevant genre wise but in in terms of like like yeah structure and and how a series progresses and sometimes you like where it's going even if the beginning isn't your taste oh yeah so yeah like i said it's because that we have this random sampling in the sense of beginning middle and end it's like i I will be the one normally i don't give a damn about the ending it's i'm there for the journey so this is enough to make me want to go back and watch the whole thing through regardless. So that way I'll have a fuller, broader context. Hmm. Um, so that's where I stand on this. I'm, I'm like I said, Bob, I wasn't a hundred percent clear on where you did. Um, I appreciate the show for what it is very much. Uh, I am curious about cheese, <laughs> but I think this is one I'll pass, but probably read. Sure. Oh, interesting. Now, when you say read, uh, you mean probably, like wiki read or find the manga and read? Probably find the manga. Ooh, uh, I'm so proud of you. Yeah, the manga adaptation is only two volumes, so it'll be pretty I quick. feel like it's probably infinitely more accessible than the <laughs> show. I'm probably. very curious about the manga now, actually. Yeah, you let me know about that. Same. Oh, and, and reading is far quicker? Question mark? Yeah, you can go at your own pace. All right, how about the opening theme song? Yo. How'd you feel about that? Bob, don't break my heart. (laughs) Uh, Well, I will not say I love you again. Uh, mm, Sadly, I'm going to put this at a five. That's so brilliant. Great beat lasted too long. Yeah, I kind of had to to show all the characters. In Bob's defense here. (laughs) If I'm just mm-hmm. listening to this beat, it's fine. But for a show opening, and I get, yes, with this is an ensemble, so I will give it a lot of, mm-hmm, yeah, sure. But I'm not going to lie. I did skip it after the first episode because <laughs> I like, I forgot, like, God, it's that long. Let's just get me to the show. I keep, like, so, yeah, humming it, it, it doesn't to work myself. As well. I keep humming it to myself throughout the day, the past couple of days. I just keep thinking about when the name card comes up for Jacuzzi Splot. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. 
I will never be over him. I cannot quit him. He's got a gun <laughs> in his heart. He had you at spot. <laughs> he had me at headbutt. Um, alright. Uh, no, that. the flying pussyfoot is not going to be a horse. Damn it! I wasn't even thinking that, but oh, I'm so, I'm heartbroken now. Can it be How a runner up? Try and slow roll. Is a flying pussy put <laughs> rank above or below Gilliam from Outlaw Star? It 100% is above Gilliam by its name alone. Uh, I don't know. Gilliam has that one pink helper robot, so it stands out. Nick, Nick, Nick. I have a counterpoint. Okay. Flying Pussyfoot. <laughs> okay, but I have a counterpoint. Because there was the scene where they're in Grand Central talking about when the train is going to get there. And they were saying that because of, quote, air quotes, big quotes, the incidents on the train, they were replacing the passenger cars with flat cars. And also they were replacing the engine with an electric engine. So it's more like the flying pussyfoot of Theseus. Mm -hmm. Is it even going to be the flying pussyfoot once it arrives? Nick. Yeah? I have a counterpoint. Okay. Flying pussyfoot. <laughs> interesting. Wow, really? That ended up on the stack twice. Okay, that's interesting. Can the, the, the flying pussy put a flash? <laughs> Bob. <laughs> flying pussy foot. Hang on. Hang on. We're going to have a long have, conversation with whoever named that. <laughs> hang on. I have an answer. So uh -huh. a new category called... Oh my god. Vehicles. Fly, no, it's just all caps. Flying pussy foot. Um, and <laughs> then number one is flying pussy foot. <laughs> well, trains? You really need to make sure the foot part's in the name. Or just ridiculous names in anime. No, he no. just, it's a list of flying pussyfoot and. The, the flying pussyfoot is the number one flying pussyfoot on our list of flying <laughs> no, pussyfoot. Wait till I add to that list. Uh, all right, <laughs> I cannot wait. There are other anime with trains. Oh my god. There are other anime with ridiculously list. questionable names. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I can just assume. All right. Uh huh. Uh, we don't have any android anime waifus. So, I mean, is a homunculus not a biological? No. That's my question. She's also mute. I don't know how that plays in, but in <laughs> well, my mind, for some that, reason, yeah, that is, is a is a, a trait of androids. Possible. And there are two of them. Are like, look through our list four. of robot android waifus and tell me which ones don't talk. Arguably, at times, are Dorothy Rodenite. That's what I'm saying. She is selectively vocal. Collectively mute. Ruri only talks in her mind most of the time. We hear a lot sure. of her inner monologue. She 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 has a selective vocabulary. She mostly just says idiots. Nick, I don't I don't want to ruin this for you. Don't don't watch the movie then. Okay. She she may talk a lot. All right, and that's all our closing <laughs> categories. Uh huh. So we only have one thing left to do. Yeah. And select. Do the thing. Hey, what are we watching next time? That's a good question. Well, let's We've find out. left, I think? Yeah, okay. here in the modern average anime fair here, we have one, two, three shows left. 
and I close this tab so I can read the name. Hold on, I gotta reload up this tab. <laughs> because, because I know I told Nick about this. I one of these I have been pre-gaming. Oh, you know, afford oh. me the tab. I can help you guys pick. No. <laughs> no. You already help us pick, Bob. You are perhaps <laughs> the most helpful in picking for us. Bob, you already picked the flying pussyfoot. You've done your job. I didn't even put it in the tagline for this. Always bet on flying pussyfoot. <laughs> yep. Alright. Our three options are Mars had got talent. Just a guy who's a hero for a hobby. And can I offer you a nice Gilnana in this try and world line? I'm so close to getting it right. You know what? I think we should go to Mars. Let's go to that Mars. That's not the one I pre-gamed. Interesting. <laughs> we'll be watching Carol and Tuesday. So, is it Carol specifically on Tuesdays only? The character named Tuesday. She has yes. a store called Tuesday Morning. We'll find out. We'll find out next week. I'm excited. I haven't seen this when one. we watch the show. Uh. Right, and we'll be doing that next week. We will see you all uh, sometime after that when we sit down to record the next episode. And until then, thank you for joining us. Flying Pussyfoot. <laughs> Number one in the world, baby! Deep in the Weebs is a show by Chuck, Nick, Joe, and Bob. Our theme music is Kawaii Friends by C. Cotty 3 You can find our show on YouTube or subscribe to the audio-only version on iTunes or wherever podcasts are served. Hold on. Hold on. Ending 21. This ending is reached by answering Bram Stoker when Miria asks Isaac what the name of Frankenstein's monster is. After Isaac gives that confident answer, something bursts through the window and blood-red letters proceed to form on the wall. The letters chide Isaac and Miria for their mismatch of incorrect knowledge and introduce themselves as a vampire known as Gerhard von Waldstein. What? And people, inc and Gerhard encourages people to read Vamp, another series by Narita. <laughs> so I think the point is, this gets a little off the rails. Kind of like what we've done. Yeah. <laughs>